This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mass Bay Guides. Mass Bay Guides is our family-run charter fishing fleet that's based out of Situate, Massachusetts. We've been providing anglers with the ultimate fishing adventure for over 20 years. Whether you're looking to put together a multi-boat corporate fishing trip, a trip for your family, or you're an avid angler looking to catch a giant bluefin tuna, our crew will do anything it takes to make sure you and your friends and your family have a great day on the water. To book a trip with us, please visit the Mass Bay Guides website, www.massbayguides.com. You can search prices, trip information, and get the latest reports and links to our social media pages there. You can also find us directly on Facebook and Instagram and just search Mass Bay Guides. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Costa Sunglasses. If you didn't know already, Costa makes the best fishing sunglasses in the game as far as we're concerned. They've been the only sunglasses that Taylor and I have worn for the last decade. The honest, honest truth. That's all we've worn for, for the last 10 years um, of our fishing career. Whether you go with uh, the blue mirror lenses for your bright, clear days offshore, we use those a lot for the canyons or you decide on the green mirror lenses for inshore shallow water applications, you really can't go wrong with, with any of the lens colors that contain their, their 580 color enhancing polarized lens technology. All of the frames are high performance, high quality. Personally, I'm a big fan of the Fantails. I don't have a super big head. They're a medium frame fit. They've been my go-to frame for the last 10 years. Um, I have them in three different lens colors, blue mirror, green mirror and the new sunrise silver, which has been awesome on overcast days, which anyone who tuna fishes knows those are the days that we dream about, but those have been, those have been great. That new color lens has been awesome. If, uh, if you visit costadelmar.com, you can see all of the products they have to offer and pick yourself up a pair. Costa sunglasses, see what's out there. This episode is also brought to you by deep. New England born and bred, Deep is inspired by the fit of the skate and surf retail world, anchored in the technical aspects of the outdoor and offshore fishing apparel market. Deep designs clothes that bring comfort in the elements and also at the bar and restaurant. If you visit shopdeep.com and use the promo code CBROS35, that's with a capital S E A B R O S 35, you'll get 35% off your next order. Our newest sponsor to the podcast is LT Marine Products. Since 2011, LT Marine has been designing and developing innovative, unique, and high-quality American-made sport fishing equipment. Taylor and I have known the crew at LT since they started. Chris is a great guy. Uh, We've been using every single piece of equipment um, that he's he's made over the last several years. his rod holders are extremely heavy duty and high quality. He has the machining equipment to be able to put your boat name on the face plates um, and do other custom work as well, which is pretty cool. Um, and recently, over the last couple of years, we've worked with him to develop some new products that have actually been very popular amongst the the Northeast um Northeast fishermen, specifically offshore and uh, and tuna fishermen. So two of those products have been his uh, his swim hook for if you're harvesting a big big giant tuna, um, 
you know, you want to take care of that fish as, as best you can prior to bringing him on board. And part of that process is after the fight, swimming the fish, you know, for a certain amount of time, kind of depending on the health of the fish and, and how the fight went, but usually ends up being around an hour to get all the lactic acid out of the muscles and, and give a, a better product at the end of the day when we, when we sell our, when we sell our fish. So we helped him design a, an affordable swim hook to be able to tow the fish behind the boat at a low speed and, and accomplish that goal. So, um, that was a pretty cool product that we, that we collaborated on. And another one is, uh, the new LT Marine, uh, release hook. We've been doing a lot of release fishing for giants uh, over the last couple of years with the way that the quota, the quota has been open and closed. So we've really had a need for a way to properly revive these fish and get them back into, uh, into good health upon release. So um, if you go on the LT Marine website, you can see the release hook there. Uh, you can also go on our Instagram, Facebook, and see how we have it rigged. But it's a it's a tool that we've implemented um, into our our process aboard our boats, and and it um, it makes releasing fish a lot safer for the crew, a lot better for the fish, and um, it's a really high quality product. Um, we used it all season, never had a problem, never broke it. So definitely check out that new that new release hook. Um, from LT, um, or if you want to see any of Chris's products, visit ltmarineproducts.com. Please make sure you use the promo code CBROS for 10% off your next order. Our next sponsor is Black Oak LED. Black Oak LED manufactures high-quality LED lighting at a reasonable price for many different industries, including hunting, fishing, military, and tactical. If you're looking to upgrade the cockpit lights, spotlights, under gunnel lights, underwater lights on your boat, uh, make sure you check out Black Oak LED at www.blackoakled.com or at Black Oak LED on Instagram. Uh, Taylor and I just purchased the 360 Marine LED light bar kit uh, with the 30-inch light bar uh, for the new... Um, the new line shy. It's the name of our new center console that will be running um, starting next season. So that kit includes a 30 inch light bar, like I said, and then four flood combos uh, that we're going to kind of spread out evenly across the T top to, um, to illuminate the deck and um, help us get bait on, in low light conditions. Uh, all that for around a thousand bucks. It's a great price point, awesome product. Um, and they have a lifetime warranty. If you need lights and want to go with Black Oak, please make sure you use our promo code GIANTBLUEFIN. Uh, that's all one word, capital G, for 20% off your order. Our guest on this episode of the podcast originally hails from New Hampshire, but has made the world of offshore fishing his home for over 25 years. For the last decade, he has been a resident of Hawaii, and he currently runs his own commercial fishing operation based out of the Big Island, Vicious Cycle Fishing, where he spends his seasons chasing pelagics around the offshore seamounts. Prior to establishing himself in Hawaii, our guest has traveled and fished all over the globe, from Jeffrey's Ledge to the Great Barrier Reef, chasing tuna and billfish on game boats. We had an absolute blast during this conversation. The fish stories in this one are insane. Just just crazy. Endless, 
honest, transparent, badass, whatever you want to call him. We had an absolute blast listening to our guest stories. Um, he's a true savage on the ocean. He spends a lot of time out there. He's had a couple of back-to-back seasons with over 300 days on the water. Um, just just really a, uh, a good, experienced, honest fisherman. Um, it was truly a pleasure to meet him. And truly a pleasure to to have him on the podcast. So without further ado, please welcome Captain Kenton Gear from Vicious Cycle Fishing and the Vicious Cycle Podcast. Welcome to the Seabros Fishing Podcast. Was through Byram. So I'm glad we finally got to to link up here. So sweet. Oh yeah, he's a classic, man. I have a lot of fun with him for sure. So Right on, right on, right on. Um, so the way we start these things off, I don't know if you've listened to any of our episodes before, is just with a quick rapid fire session. You know, we have a handful of questions. Most of them can probably be answered in one or two words. And, uh, you know, we might we might go down a, a rabbit hole on a few of them, but, but just to get the conversation flowing a bit and then we'll, uh, you know, go into kind of the boilerplate stuff and how you got into fishing and you're from New Hampshire, right? You're, you're from Exeter, New Hampshire. That's correct. Yep. When did you, yep, I'm re- when did you make the move? To Hawaii? Yeah. You mean? Yeah. Um, I guess I first started fishing here 2000 somewhere around 2000. But, uh, when I originally got to Hawaii, like I was never a full-time, uh, resident. I wasn't a full-time resident of Hawaii until maybe, um, maybe 15 years ago, something like that. Not maybe even, let's see, even that might be stretching it 10 years, maybe because I, I, I was, I was on the circuit for a long time. So I'd be here for the summer and then I go to Australia for the fall. And then I go like Costa Rica or Panama, for the winter. And I kind of, for probably my first seven years here, I was just always here for like the summer. And then, um, and that was all pretty much mostly marlin fishing, you know, like pelagic fishing around. I was on game boats and, uh, uh, my wants and desires kind of changed, um, as I got older. And, uh, as that happened, I found myself commercial fishing, uh, because I was trying to really hold a, a base. And can you guys hear this? All right. It sounds yeah. really weird. Yeah. You, like, are you getting like your reverb of yourself? Is that why it's sounding yeah. weird? Try it with like your I headphones can't. off. Try it with your headphones off because right. honestly, the yeah. audio sounds fine on our end. Okay. Cause I, I'm like, it's like, if it's I making you like think I'm, too much, then just try <laughs> taking I feel it like off. I'm, yeah. It's like bouncing back. I right. feel like I'm screaming. Okay, so. <laughs> try taking it off if you want. All right, can you guys hear me? Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. Okay, that's better for me. I can you still hear me all right? Oh yeah, so, dude. Yeah, no? you're gr- it's perfect. Okay, because that was like <laughs> fucking making my head go nuts. <laughs> yeah, if you want, pull your phone a little bit closer to you if you can. Yeah. All right, let me just make sure this thing is off too. Yeah. Sorry, technical problems. It's all good. No worries, dude. It's part of this whole deal. That's why we don't go live, anyways. That's. Yeah, I'm starting to learn that myself with my podcasting thing. It's kind of like, eh, kind of get it. Yep. Is that any better? That's much better. Yep. Am I in the frame? Does it matter? You're good. You're so, good. Yep. All right. Yeah. 
Sorry, boys. But like really kind of full time, like not chasing the endless summer fishing, like over 10 years. That's awesome. 10 years. I, I had a few years where I really devoted commercial fishing. Um, you know, I, I had two back-to-back years where I fished over 300 days offshore. Wow. So those are really kind of the years where I really changed from um, charter fishing to commercial fishing. You know, there we had a couple years in there where um, the money was there, the fish were there, and I just kind of was never on land. So... That's cool. That's insane. That's an awesome, awesome way to live. That right is there. one of our questions, actually. Commercial fishing or sport fishing? Uh, <laughs> right well, this is I, all shoot from your hip answers, by the way. I mean, I, I, I love both, and um, I like exotic parts of sport fishing. Like, I like going to uh, exploratory places, and I like catching big fish. Uh, one of the problems for me with sport fishing today is that there's kind of like two levels of sport fishing you're either on private boats and fishing is like 35 percent of the job or you're on a sport fishing like on a charter boat where you're truly you know trip to trip and um i mean and and i love sport fishing but as you guys know there's kind of like usually two echelons there's usually, usually where you're absolutely working your ring off for just getting by or you're getting paid a pretty good salary and you're hardly fishing very rarely match up that you're making a good like a really good paycheck and you're fishing really hard all the time you know so for me it's commercial fishing i guess because i i like that i can just fish a lot and one thing that i used to happen with sport fishing with me all the time is that the days were just too short like i really like like i don't like fishing like one of the problems with sport fishing sometimes, as you know, is that you fish to the weakest person on the boat. Whereas commercial fishing, you fish to, you know, the best fishing possible. So, like, instead of being like, oh, we can't go there today because it's too rough for Sally. Commercial fishing is we fucking go. And if you're seasick in the corner of that, you know, the boat over there, well, you're going to have a long trip. Yeah, right? That's your so, problem. That's your problem. Yeah. Um, tuner or marlin? <sighs> These are like kind of random. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> tuna or marlin? Well, for I, I don't think I can split that one. Tuna's for paying the bills. Marlin's for uh, for filling my heart, I guess. Okay, that's a good answer. What's what's your biggest marlin? Uh, biggest weight or biggest oh, weight? Well, so, biggest hung marlin or billfish in general? Eleven seventy six. Holy but shit. I, yet but um i would say like i really don't believe that's my biggest fish uh but that's probably my biggest fish i shouldn't say that 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 was a black um but my biggest blue marlin i hands down let go that's a long crazy story but the the biggest blue i ever caught i definitely let go i don't know if it was that big or not but it was bigger than anything else I've weighed. Any other blue I've weighed. Yeah, that's wow. sick. That's a huge animal, dude. I mean, a thousand pound bluefin versus a thousand a marlin are just so much longer. Yeah, they just look way bigger. They look way more prehistoric. I right. think the tails are like twice the size. Um, cool. Circle hook or J hook? Circle hook. Ooh, I like it. What's your favorite circle hook? 
Uh, well, it depends on what we're targeting, but probably uh, Maruto double uh, XL. Okay. What size? Like what general size range in that hook? I mean, obviously bait specific. Uh, thirty six. Thirty six. Yeah. Gotcha. Thirty six to thirty six to a thirty eight double uh, XL Maruto would be my favorite hook, probably. Gotcha. Uh, back to the tunas. Um, big eyes or yellowfin? Big eye. How how big is a big big eye out there? I mean, I know you guys are fishing hundred plus miles, you know, out of Kona. I mean, you are for the most part, but what's a toad big eye for out there? Mm. Well, I mean, there's there's really big ones, but we don't catch very many of them, like you know, over three hundred pounds. But most big big eyes, I would say, are you know over buck eighty. It's a nice fish. It's a solid fish. So similar to us then, mid sixty inch, yeah. low seventy inch range. I honestly, I would be terrible on the whole inch thing. I yeah, it's, just put them in the boat. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> quickly with the way that you're fishing too. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. There, you know, there is an occasional 400 pounder caught on a long line, but I've never caught one that big. Um, I got a 303 on long line gear dress, so I don't know what that. That's that's a jumbo. That's four. Yeah, that's yeah. four hundred, close to four hundred, or you know, right around there. Three seventy, nah, probably. So no, so in Hawaii, we have the only market in the world where we actually keep the heads on oh, them. Okay. So it's gotcha. Not, not that big, yeah. Gotcha. So the it's it's closer to only like ten percent more. So maybe it was like three thirty hole or something. Maybe a little bit bigger. You know, like it's about kind of like ten percent. I hear people throw that number all over the place, but I think in reality it's about ten percent more. Gotcha. You know, when it, it's, just, it's just gill and guts out, not the head off. Got it. Got it. Um, live bait, dead bait, or artificial? If you had to pick live one, bait. live bait. Live bait. I love live baiting. Are you doing mostly? Are you are you doing like live chumming and stuff when you're doing that dangle fishing, or is it a completely separate deal? Live baiting versus totally that? separate deal. But I mean, if we're just talking fishing, I love live baiting. Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll get into that whole dangle stuff later. Um, I mean, you've done a lot of sport fishing, as you alluded to before we kick this thing off. But if you, what's your favorite artificial lure? I mean, being in Hawaii, it's the home base of that stuff. If you had to pick one, what would it be? Are we talking for catching everything or big ones? Because that's two totally different things, in my opinion. Give us one of each. Okay. Um, my favorite all-around lure for just catching everything. Like, if I could only pick one lure and I had to feed my family with it, it would be a chrome jet. It would be just a shiny chrome jet made out of China. Cost you about $8 to stick skirts on it. And I could feed my family the rest of my life with that, no problem. If I was fishing for numbers of marlin, it would definitely be a purple and black soft head. And if I was fishing for big marlin, it would be a smash bait from Aloha Lures. That's a sick lure. I fished that. Sick lure. I fished that with, uh, with Sean and Joe and, and Ryan when I was over there. Things awesome, awesome lure. It's a really deceptive tube too, because it runs, uh, you know, it runs even in rough water. I've caught fish all over the world with that thing. Yeah. I bought one of the small, smaller version of the like original, smash bait size a couple years ago i haven't had a chance to fish it much but it runs it runs nice um we ask everyone this question if you had one super baby smash baby smash yeah yep 
One, uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? One superpower, what would it be? Uh, I would say I'd have to be able to hold my breath internally underwater. I would love to see what the hell's on the sounder. You know, like I like I used to fish. Like my passion was finding shipwrecks. Yep. I would love to actually like swim down and see what the hell's happening down there, and maybe get all of my shit that I lost off it back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. No one said that That's one. A good yet. one. I, I said being able to see through water, and yours was flying. Right, mine's flying. Carraro's was uh, being visible. And uh, Miles wants to go back to like 1864 with a 66 Viking, all the fluorocarbon, everything that he has now, and just be able to pillage back in the day. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's a superpower, but we, get, we let him. We let him do it. How about uh, how, how about superstitions? Oh, I've got superstitions for getting out of ruts. You know, okay. not so much for like. Not so much for uh, like on the boat, but I mean, I've got some superstitions for like getting out of a bad fishing streak, you know? What do you got? Well, the crew has to <laughs> fat chick. That's mandatory. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much a standard. Um, <laughs> on the boat, like during the trip, or like you're talking not, like not before or after? But well, but these. You know, they got to get her back to the boat. Someone's got to get a fat chick back to the boat and christen the boat. And uh, that's one of the superstitions that we hold pretty serious. And then, uh, and or a bonus is, like, if you want a really good trip, you get the fat chick to piss in the bilge. That's just, that's full boat. Dude, that I is wish could unreal. See, I wish all the listeners could see his dead serious face right oh, now. Oh, yeah. He is not joking at all. I wish OG was here for that one. I'm, uh, Holy yeah. shit. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't want to know how many times this has taken place. Yeah. I don't know how much urine's in your bilge either. We don't go in too many slow streaks, so it <laughs> obviously good. works. That's good. That's a good thing. Uh, any others? Any other funny ones? Any other superstitions? Like um, bananas. Everyone asks bananas, you know. Being bad luck. No, but I, I have a great picture with a banana, like with a fucking stack of bananas, like a full, huge one. I went out on this half-day trip, and I was just, like, filling in. And I, actually, I got to the boat, like, fucking hammered drunk. They called <laughs> me, like, hey, uh, can you fill in? The deckhand didn't show up to him. Oh, yeah, sure, no problem. And it was, like, before I even realized I was still drunk and. And I end up get, getting down to the boat. My, I can barely get my eyes open. And you know, like you know, the sign that the crew is really drunk. I got to, I got to the boat in jeans, right, <laughs> in Hawaii. Yeah. And we get like fucking. We got two lures out. Like I got two lures out. Fucking. <laughs> got it on. This fucking thing jumps all over the place. And uh, big, pretty good size one. We end up sticking it in the boat. We're dragging it fucking through the door. And as we like are getting the, the thing through the door. The guy like hands me like a banana. He's like, "Hey, you want a banana?" And I look up, and this guy's got a fucking bundles of bananas, like a whole fucking. Must have been like a hundred bananas. And I had like, the biggest thing he brought in a bag. Like I'm like, "Well, I guess that one's out the window." That's amazing, dude. That's yeah. unreal. That's great. Oh, drunken uh, random outfits. Nick Haney and his dress whites from oh, Mass yeah. Maritime. Yep. 
linen pants. Me on Fourth of July. Oh, oh dude, same story, same <laughs> song and dance. Rigging a mackerel in his like linen shirt from going out the night before, fucking blood all over it. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, That's hilarious. We've all been there though. You know, you, like you just know when the when the crew at like seven in the morning has the sunglasses on and just isn't like looking yeah. at you directly. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's usually a pretty good sign. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, favorite place in the world that you've fished? Favorite place in the world that I fish. Now that is a hard one, but I guess if you were going to spread my ashes, bring me to Jeffrey's off, uh, off New Hampshire. Interesting choice. Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now why is that? Just back to home base. Yeah, I think so. I I love the Gulf. I mean, I don't think I would have ever left New England in a lot of ways if there wasn't kind of a series of events, like especially with um, just how at that time fishery management was just making it harder and harder for guys to make a living fishing. I mean, at that point, they were cutting guys back. That was when they were doing days at sea, and it got all the way down to like, they went from like, I think it was like one, God, I think it was like 120 or 130, and then it was 88, then it was 33 days at sea, and like, it, you know, and, and, and charter fishing there was just seasonal. And uh, that's kind of when I started kind of, you know, traveling around, looking looking at different things. And I just, you know, the world is so big. And sometimes when you just start moving, you almost like it happens so fast. And all of a sudden you look back and you're kind of like, God, how did I get here? But I, I hold New England like the highest of regards for sure. It's a special fishery. I mean, we haven't been fortunate enough to, to fish in a lot of the places that you have, but we've fished quite a few places and we still come back to it. Obviously our home base and home of our company as well. So it's nice to have that connection with someone that's also, you know, traveled a lot of different places and fished a lot of different places. So I guess to dovetail from our rapid fire into your background, you know, maybe give us, if you can, the, the reader's digest of, you know, Kenton fishing Jeffries to, you know, how you made your way to Hawaii and started the vicious cycle, you know, commercial fishing program there. Oh, that's it's a very long, confusing story. But to be honest, uh, it, 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 it starts if you want to get like, I mean, I started fishing when I was really young, like, you know, like, like, I think like a lot of us, I start when, we're, you know, like when I was probably like eight years old, my dad took me fishing in New Hampshire, uh, like at, at this place called Camp Dakota. And I remember catching my first bass and pretty much like that was it for me, you know, like right. I just got my first fish and then, um, you know, we kind of work our way up. Those were also the days. So I remember the thing that really changed for me. So I was a freshwater fisherman and somewhere when I was around maybe 12 years old or something, my dad took me out on a party boat. And when they used to have the big bluefish slams and uh, we went out and we caught like, you know, like that's one of the days when they used to come up into the Isles of Shoals. Like they don't come up there like, like that anymore. But, um, you know, I think we caught like on a half day, the boat caught like 300 bluefish on a half day. It was just an absolute fucking slam job. It was just blood everywhere, total chaos. And I actually remember, this is pretty funny. I remember uh, that, and, and my like my dad doesn't doesn't swear like I didn't hear my dad swearing like my whole life yeah and so like my swearing I picked up on my own but I can remember the 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 deckhand actually asked my father to ask my son to stop swearing because I was so excited <laughs> like awesome. I was just like I was just like and, and think about that now 
a party vote deckhand telling a kid to stop swearing. So think of that caliber <laughs> yeah. of excitement, right? Oh, yeah. But I just was blown away. There was just like all these bigger fish than I had seen at that point. And uh, one thing that happened on that trip that I'll, that I'll never forget is that at one point, the bluefish, they're all like, you know, it was a slam job. Uh, some bluefin tuna came up and fucking started smashing them next to the boat. And then all of a sudden, I was just like ruined for life. I was like, what was that? You know, <laughs> yeah, like, I what catch the that. hell did I just fucking see? That was like incredible. So yeah. that like, that pretty much did me in after that. After I saw a bluefin eat a bluefish, I'm like, I'm fucking done. That's all I wanted to do was go offshore after that. It ruined my whole life. It was awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. There's nothing like watching those things chase bluefish and chase big bluefish too. Once they're like eight plus pounders, watch them chase one or two bluefish for five minutes. It's insane. Yeah. You know, that's cool. Yeah, so it was you, nuts, man. So you got into it, bluefish in there. And then I guess, how did you, how did you get into tuna fishing from there? Oh, well, well, so what I should say is then, so then what was happening, I, I, I started going out on the party boats as a paying passenger, but I didn't care about catching the fish all i did was go around helping take the fish off and unhook them and so that uh it was guy's name was captain john lagerstrom he had a boat called the thumper out of uh hampton new hampshire and finally one day he's like he's like you don't have to pay anymore he's like i'm, I'm gonna actually i'm gonna pay you to come with to come with us and i would because i was just like a paying passenger and i would just show up and i would just be helping out the whole time and then the next thing you know I was like the full-time deckhand on this party boat for years and years and years until, you know, probably, I, I don't know. I, I worked with him from like, I maybe like when I start, I probably started on the boat when I was 12, but like 13, they 13 could get working papers back then. So like 13 to about uh, like 17 or 18, I worked for him. And then, we kind of had a little falling out that was completely on my own end. I was getting a little too cocky and he put me in check and um, I ended up working on this other boat, but we're really good friends now. It was one of those things where I had to grow up and kind of come back where I was totally wrong. I was getting a little too uh, prideful if you were so, um, but we're good now. And uh, I ended up on a, another, um, I ended up on, on, on another party boat, but uh we would catch a random with Captain John. We would catch a bluefin once in a while, you know? And then um, I would also go, sometimes I would just go uh, with other guys. Like I would take the day off and go. And I was pretty lucky. Like I've always been kind of pretty lucky in nature. And, um, uh, you know, it's kind of hard for me to talk about my first bluefin now because I got into this crazy, crazy thing. The guy I caught my first bluefin tuna with commercially, like we don't talk anymore. I just settled a lawsuit with him like, oh, wow. <laughs> like six months ago or something. So un unfortunately we, it's a huge roundabout story, but he ended up coming out to Hawaii and running my boat and there was an accident and now we don't talk. And so it's kind of, it's kind of a bummer. Cause I really held this guy like in, uh, you know, I kind of held him with like the rose colored glasses that you do of youth where you're like, this guy, like I used to just call him the man without really ever kind of like justifying why he was the man, yeah. you know? And so my thoughts have changed on that since he tried to sue me for everything I owned and some because of supposed problems that happened on the boat that showed up six months later after he left. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a love-hate love relationship then. <laughs>
with bluefin itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a mixed thing. Like, so probably I wouldn't talk about my first bluefin tuna as excitingly as I would have before. You know, right. like three and a half years legal fees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you end up on on sport boats traveling around? That's a great question. So if it, you want to really get to the base of it, depression. So I fucking, I went to Maine Maritime Academy. I had a uh, appointment to Kings Point and, or I could go to Mass Maritime or Maine Maritime. I made the decision to go to Maine Maritime Academy. And because my girlfriend was going to UMaine Orono and here I was thinking, oh, well, she's only going to be 30 minutes away, right? So this is perfect. And we're forever in love and blah, blah, blah. Well, fucking three weeks into it, she's f***ing the, uh, the, 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 oh, the, no. the quarterback at the other college. And uh, Maine Maritime at the time had fucking, there was 911 guys and nine girls. And the best looking girl was named Ryan. Just to give you like a fucking. We're, we're, ma- we're, mass, we're mass Maritimers, so we understand oh, okay. you. So yeah, yeah, you guys can appreciate this, right? <laughs> yes. So I'm, I'm fucking up in Castine, Maine. It's like, it's. There, there's, it's like, I just remember there was like snow drifts up over my fucking window. You're not even like, as a freshman, you're not allowed to step on the grass. So I can't even go outside to shovel the fucking snow off my window. It's just like total nightmare. My fucking girlfriend is getting railed by the football team and I'm just <laughs> sitting there. And my mom, so shout out to my mother here. My mom knew I was just like so fucking bummed out. And my mom got me a, a ticket for like Cancun, Mexico. Cause you know, like back then there was like MTV, like fucking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All these, Everything like, was all, all inclusive, all inclusive flights for like 500 bucks. All inclusive uh, trip to Cancun. Oh, yeah. Like, you're oh. fucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my, my mom, my mom's like, here, I got you this trip. So, like, so for the winter break, she sent me down to Cancun and, uh, I'm just fucking. I had a great time, but we ended up out at like Cosmel, right? Or uh, Isla Mujeres, or yep. and uh, I met a couple guys down there, and I just started talking story with them. You know, like I saw these big fancy boats and everything, and kind of just I, I didn't. It was never even on my radar that there was like these guys who traveled around, you know. And uh, this one guy, basically. It, I started talking to him and uh, I stayed in contact with him a little bit. Like I, w- I went back home and this was like, this was like AOL messenger day. Like where you had like, you know, like your, like away message. Like I, I still remember my away message was like, my friends bought, uh, my friends bought for my birthday. My friends got me a sweater, you know, yeah. I would have preferred a screamer or a moaner, but a sweater is better than nothing. Like I had that as my away <laughs> message for years. So I, I remember I messaged this guy on fucking AOL and like, uh, I don't remember what he, he responded back. Like, I don't know, like a long, long time later. And he's like, Oh, you should just try. He's like, try looking at Hawaii, you know, like that might be a place to go. And I, and I kind of like, I don't, I don't even know if we had Google, we had AOL. It was like the dial up, right? Like, oh yeah. And, uh, I, I remember that looking up Hawaii and then there was just like another random chance meeting. My mother met this woman on a on a plane again. My mom here, uh, who fished in Kona all the time. She's like, "Oh, you should go to Kona." So I was fucking just like I I, I was just hating I was hating fucking life up at school. But I I finished out the year, and I finished the summer, 
and I worked I worked on a party boat. But in the back of my mind, I I had decided I wasn't going back to I wasn't going to go back to college I, I, at that time anyway. And uh, it got to be we went, I worked through the whole season in New England, and then it got cold. We put the boat away, and I said, "Well, fuck, I'm going to hop on a plane and go check out Kona Hawaii." And that's that's what I did. So it was kind of just I just went for it, and it just worked out. So who did you end up starting to fish with in Kona? When you showed up, well, actually, the first people I fished with over here uh, were actually on the other side of the island. I actually went commercial fishing here before I ever went. I actually ever went charter fishing in uh, where uh, is it Hilo? Out of Hilo, yeah. Out of Hilo. My first yeah. night, my first night out of Hilo. I, I and 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 now knowing what I know now, this was probably like that guy's best night ever. But like he never admitted that at the time, like. You know, our first night out, we caught seven and they were all kind of like 130-ish to like 170-ish, you know. Ye- yellow fins? Yellow, yellow fin, okay. Yeah, yellows, yeah. And we caught seven the first night I went out and I'm like, this is fucking pretty good, you know, like, and we're in, I don't know, his skiff might be like 16 feet long or something. It, it, like, you should see a lot of the skiffs out here. You guys probably have, like, yeah, they're just like a modified anything. It's yeah, his boat was no different. It was like a Boston whaler with a cab that was kind of like glued onto it. And like, <laughs> you know, I probably wouldn't step foot on it today, knowing what I know about the weather over there. But like, you just don't know. Like, it was definitely probably his best, his best night. But that kind of set it in motion. And then, um, uh, and then I remember like, you know, like a week later, he stuffed not a ton of money in my hand, but enough where I'm like, eh, that's not bad. You yeah. know, like, and uh, we did a little bit more fishing with him, and we caught like some nights we wouldn't catch one. Then we get three or four, and then I don't really know what happened to him. Actually, I kind of asked around. He he was like a school teacher, and long story short, he kind of disappeared. But um, I started going over to Kona, and it took a while. Um, it took a while to really get a, a full time job. Uh, I just kind of went like I'd walk the docks every day, and once sometimes I'd get a ride, sometimes I wouldn't. You know, and I was just really open to doing anything like kind of like that story, like where I showed up with my jeans. I was just I had my number down there that if you need a last minute guy, I'll go. And eventually just always being available kind of led me to more full time jobs. But uh, like I was saying before, though, in the beginning, I was only there kind of seasonally. Like my first couple of years, I still was going back to New England. And then then I kind of got into that, like the full on traveling uh, scene with some of the guys that I met in Kona, Hawaii. And then, you know, even Kona just kind of became summertime for almost, you know, I'm, I'm not great with the years thing. If I had like a, if I had a calendar, <laughs> if I had my log books in front of me, one thing, I, one thing I have done from new England, like with the captains I worked with always kept log books. Yes. Oh, yeah. And so I have a stack of log books. It's like this to kind of like to look back for, which I'm really fortunate because sometimes someone will ask me a number about something and then I can rip through it and check it. But right off the top of my head, I'm not always super great about dates, but I usually have a logbook to back it up. So I'm pretty, I, that's a thing for young fishermen. Uh, if you're listening to this, I highly recommend keeping logbooks because there's so many times my logbooks have paid over and over for themselves. Like, a lot of times, especially like tuna fishing with having to do with the area, even if this like the conditions don't necessarily look best, like the the best in that area, but just the way fish travel through a lot of the same zones. Like I so many times I've looked in my logbook and be like, ah, oh, we caught a you know, we caught really good here on May 17th or whatever. Let's check it. 
And we'll get in the area and it doesn't really look great. And then the next thing I know, fucking everything's exploding. And I'm like, well, must be something about that seasonality there, you know? Right. Absolutely. We see the same thing. Likewise, at the like the log books too. I mean, we're pretty meticulous about it, and it's it's helped us a lot through the years for sure. Um, so you met you met some anglers, some captains in Kona, and then I guess where some of the highlights you ended up traveling to before coming back to Kona full time. Well, Great Barrier Reef holds a special place in my heart. Uh, when everything's said and done over there, I've done over 10 full season. I've done like 13 if you count, like just going for like a month at a time That's or like sick. going down for a quick trip. That's cool. Um, yeah, I love it down there. Cannes holds a real special place in my heart. Um, seen a lot of awesome stuff down there. That place has so much more potential than, than, um, than even what's tapped a lot of times. And they're kind of, discovering that like further south because of accessibility there's so much unfished stuff to this day over there which is exciting um you know the tuna aggregation out wide it's kind of like a short window but i I worked on this other boat where we were going out there looking for blue marlin too and the tuna fishing out wide was just fucking ridiculous like you know like easily could have done the same style fishing and we did do some of the same style fishing like we do in hawaii there where they're just you know, the big guys are just ripping the fish off, you know, ripping the, the baits, you know, foot off the boat. So a lot of potential over there. There's a lot of fish, but between regulations and uh, it's unaccessibility, like it's just so far outside the reef, those fish will probably live safely forever. But, you know, some really cool stuff. I, I would say the Great Barrier Reef is probably one of my favorite places without a doubt. And when I say the reef is huge, right? Yeah. So like, some of the coolest things I've ever seen are like in the outer reefs too, that a lot of people never get to go to like the ones that are like, you know, like hundred miles, 120 miles past like the main reef. And then further way up North, there's just so much untapped, uh, so much untapped pristine ocean out there. So much beautiful reefs still that, that stuff kind of stands out as some of the coolest stuff I've ever done. You know, that's sick. Yeah, yeah, great, great barrier reef is, uh, <laughs> definitely a bucket list for us we talked to byram about it a little bit i know he spent this was it one or two seasons over there that's the last billfish we have left to check off the list as a black marlin so i'm hoping eventually we can make it over there and experience it byram was telling me it's like a it's got a little bit of pei feel to it as far as the people and you know the close-knit small group smaller fleet um I thought that that was intriguing to me because I love that place. Really, really want to get out there. You know, it's so interesting that he would say that because, uh, you know, I love going to the Great Barrier Reef. I love the people over there. I love Australia, man. Like if I could have been born in another country, I would probably want like Australia to be there. You know, like they're unapologetically still fucking men, you know, like you can still drink and chase women and (laughs) fucking go fishing and hunting thing and like, you don't have to apologize for being a man over there all the time. You know, like it's, it's a, it's a good place. But one thing I would say about the season, everybody's like kind of, I mean, there's always some kind of tips, but I would say that one thing about the reef that is so awesome is that like a group of these guys, they get back together and everyone's got their own business, but we kind of all converge back. And because it's like a shorter season, you know, it's like generally under three months these days. Um, I feel like the vibe is a little bit better as opposed to some other places where I fish where people don't fish enough and they're there too long. So the excitement's kind of out of it. Like 
the excitement's not the excitement's kind of out of it, and the drama's kind of higher because the people have a lot of idle time and shit. I think in the reef, a lot of times you get there, it's wham, bam, everybody's working full speed. You only get to have a few nights out on the town with everybody, and then you go on your way. So I think, and I think another thing too is that so many people, when you fish the Great Barrier Reef, you wait all year to go fish the reef. Like, I mean, I can, I get it. my hair, I get excited just thinking about the reef to this day. Even when I can't go, I'm like, fuck, man. I mean, you just see, like, you're looking, you're looking, you're like, it's October. I know the big fuckers are biting right now. Moon, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a cool, so, it's a cool vibe when everyone is just, you know, gold rush mentality, trying to get it in when they can, you know, when the fish yeah. is good like that. It's awesome. Um, so I guess fast forward a little bit. Tell us, uh, you know, Great Barrier Reef traveled. You know, talk us, talk us through how you set up your your program in Kona, your commercial fishing program in Kona, and what that. Uh, what that looks like. Well, well, basically my, you know, like I was kind of saying, my wants and desires change, you know, like I kind of, as I got a little bit older, you know, like how would I, how do I say this? And probably some fishermen can relate to this. Uh, you know, I was just traveling and going and going and I like, wasn't really saving any money. You know, I was just like, you know, I went pretty hard on land and out at sea. And one day I kind of realized like, you know, like, eh, I do want to have a family someday. I, you know, I, I would like to have something of my own and, uh, sport fishing wasn't really growing at the same rate as I was. If you know what I mean? I kind of was like at that same pay level and, um, I had taken a couple like salary jobs along the way where they paid well, but I wasn't particularly happy. And so I was kind of really trying to figure myself out where, cause a lot of times I care less about making money and actually catching fish. And, um, commercial fishing for me was like a really good balance because I got to catch a lot of fish and I, my income went up quite a bit. Uh, one thing I really liked about commercial fishing too and and although there's always like some fudge in there and some politics, uh, the thing I liked about commercial fishing is that it's it wasn't always like who you knew, who got the best job or like, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that. You'll see like, you know, someone where they like a, a young kid gets like 19 year old kid has his five million dollar game boat. And you're like, how did he get that? Right. You know, like, right. yeah. So what I always liked about commercial fishing was that once you got to a certain point anyways, Commercial fishing is adversely proportional to how hard you want to work. You know, like you work harder, you make more money than the next guy. You work smarter, you make more money than the next guy. And so I really like that, that, that in commercial fishing, effort actually uh, equated to, to money, you know, because there's so much behind the scenes stuff. And well, in commercial fishing, but in sport fishing, too, like, you know, you, there's so much behind the scenes stuff in sport fishing. You never get paid for, you know, like oh, yeah. there's so much and, and the people don't ever see it. You know, it's almost like it's not appreciated. So I really liked about commercial fishing truly that the harder I went, the more money I made, you know. So that, that's how I got geared towards it. But what I should say, what happened was I filled in. I, I, I went out on a uh, on a smaller sea mountain boat. They're, they're offshore boats, right? When you say smaller, how big? Just paint the picture a little bit for the listeners. I think like this boat, it was an old sand pan. It was a converted, uh, converted, uh, converted, uh, charter boat. It was a pretty well-known charter boat that got converted into a uh, sea mountain boat. 
And uh, it, was a, it was like a 33-foot sand pan. And the sand pans, for the people who don't know they are listening, they were all built post-World uh, War II uh, out, out of Pearl Harbor with, uh, with leftover parts from the war effort. So um, for the most part, each sand pan was different. There was like no two exactly the same because they were literally built with parts that were left over from, from the war. So they're all like – each one is like kind of uniquely different. I mean – uh, they're wooden for the most part, but like the like as far as like exhaust stacks, like they all have like dry stacks and all, all the boats for the most part. You won't find two that you'll never find two that are exactly the same because most of them were made with like okay, we got this boiler over here, we'll cut that in half and make that a rain. <laughs> you know, they're they're pretty neat old boats. Um, there's not too many left in uh, in Hawaii though because you know you know how it is. Just wooden boats are just so so hard to take care of and just the age catch up with them and people want flashier boats and then the next thing you know like they end up chainsawed in a dumpster so yeah that's the way it goes but uh, i went out on this boat and um went out on this boat and uh we went out we had really good fishing like our our first day and i remember them saying it was like six thousand pounds but knowing what i know now it was really more like forty five hundred pounds you know, like, but we caught like 4,500 pounds in a day and, uh, of, of big eyes. They, uh, they were all like the biggest fish was probably only maybe 85 or 90 pounds. Um, but just like high volume of smaller fish. And we did it in a day. It took a day to get there, a day of fishing and a day to get back. And I'm like, that's eh, pretty good. And then, uh, when the check settled, it actually was not, really any better than what i was sport fishing at the time like i didn't get paid very well for it but i really really enjoyed it you know and it was like much easier work for me anyways than than the charter fishing aspect of like because i like i said i hate short days like i hate when you're leaving when you're like okay the bite is really now feels starting like yeah yeah it's like it's just about to happen but right. i got a tea time uh we're gonna have to wrap this up yeah you know yeah yeah so i i really like that i really like that and uh um that i don't know i did like within one trip or something i was like the captain of that boat the guy's like oh you can just take it and i'm like i mean i'm like i'm like i did one trip he's like well it's just like sport fishing you know you can go and my first trip was okay i don't know it was like probably we probably caught the same, but it took me like several days to do it, you know, like when you're still learning, but I still put a trip together, you know, and, but it was fun, you know, it was exciting. Um, one thing I, I remember is that like, you know, we had a, and we see this all the time, but like, uh, it was the first time I've ever seen uh, a Marlin push a school of tunas into the propeller, you know, so that was pretty cool. I didn't even know I was experiencing the first time, like, because I had only been on one trip and nobody told me. So we're in gear and all of a sudden I feel duck, 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 duck. and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, I ran something over. So I take the boat out of gear and it's fucking, they're just like all these chopped up pieces. And there's this, what? I'm like, what's going on? There's just all these fucking tunas balled up and there's this fucking big lit up Marlin underneath the boat. that's just got a pile of tunas pushed up underneath the that's boat. Insane. Dude, that is insane. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Yeah. Well, that, well i i actually i it happened uh i happened yesterday too even inshore we i ended up whacking a small marlin we were just catching rats you know like smaller fish 
and um we were just catching rats and we were kind of steadily catching like just like 15 to 20 pounders which like get sell, sold on the side of the road and uh, all the tunas came up underneath the boat and i said ah he's all fucking lit up i see him and i took one of the smaller rats we had it was dead you know because we hit him as soon as we put on and I just whacked a hook. I had a live bait rig, and I just whacked a hook through the dead one, and I threw it over the side, and it it ate it within like three seconds. But it hadn't like it ate it like, and it was right there, but it was still chasing the other tunas under the boat. And so we actually had to drive away. We see this a lot. Like a lot of times, we actually have to drive away because even though I had swallowed the bait, I just threw over the side. The fucking thing was still trying to grab other ones underneath yeah. the boat. So like we had to drive away, and uh, eventually I'm like, okay, like. Eventually, we stuck it, stuck the drag up, and she was hooked pretty deep, man, because, you know, she had eaten it down to her asshole because I kept waiting for her to swim <laughs> right. out underneath the boat. And eventually, once she swam away a little bit, we were able to power away. And then, yeah, we harvested that one, too. It was just a little one. I don't know, probably, like, maybe buck 35 or something. So, that's cool. but right now, they're worth as much as tuna, so it was right. coming in the boat. Yeah. What do you, yeah, what do you get? What are you getting What's for that? prices currently? Like ballpark around, range, around three fifty. We'll get around three fifty a pound for that on the whole. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, the tuna price isn't mu- the tuna price isn't much better. Like it, we're getting about the same for blue marlin as we are for 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 tunas. You know, except for bigger fish, the smaller fish are around like three fifty. You know, so the rats were probably about the same price as that marlin. So, what's the end product typically with you know that size class marlin? Is it all like poke to a restaurant or is it? smoked or you know loined yeah, out yeah that, that's all poke those small those small like local ones like that those will all be poke yeah that's cool so yeah. how did you how did you go from running this guy's boat putting some trips together to to starting up your program oh so um well it didn't take me long to figure out that this wasn't the nicest boat in the fleet you know what i mean <laughs> like, so i i i i i uh I ran a handful of trips with it on this boat. And then a guy that owned a couple like bigger, better boats kind of pinched me. He said, Hey, you know, like, because I see you taking this thing out and I'm looking for someone to run a boat. Why don't you come fishing with me and, and, and try it out? So I went fishing with this other guy and this next boat, you know, just held a lot more weight. It was a lot better set up. It was a lot safer. And, uh, same kind of like I was on that boat. Like I worked for him for like three trips. And then the next thing you know, I was the captain of that boat for years. So just kind of all worked out, you know, it's cool. It's awesome. Can you yeah. explain a little bit of like the, the buying and selling? So, you know, you mentioned fish sold in the side of the road. Can you just talk more yeah. about like, how does Hawaii differ from other countries or other uh, states and countries and stuff as far as selling fish? well you know i don't really know what's happening on the mainland right now like because you know like as far as your guys fish market and everything but one thing that has happened post-covid is that um we have seen a big big demand uh increase on the side of the road like as far as like people wanting like a local smaller fish Mm -hmm. so our lower end has come way up from what it used to be because there's kind of like a consciousness so that people want to support local, but the upper end fish is way down. So I, the price is almost kind of like the same because the small fish price has gone up, but the big fish price has gone down. So it's kind of just like very middle, but 
in Hawaii, because our whole economy is based on tourism, and now the fact that we don't have any, there just there is just basically no upper end because our fish all stay domestically. So, right. um, you're not. I mean, not to say that we aren't. We, like right now, I mean, I'll be honest. I have a great, great fish buying program. I'm really, really happy. Um, but I haven't seen that. I haven't seen a tuna hit ten dollars a pound in a long time. I my I, I just saw the best prices I've seen since 2019. And now that we're in Lent, you know, um, and, but that's just about over, you know what I mean? Yeah. So we, we generally see an increase to the price during that time, but I really don't know what the future is going to hold because, uh, that time frame is almost over, but I would say the, the small fish sales are really what's carrying us. The locals buying the fish on the side of the road and then the fact that I just have such a great um, buyer uh, for the for the bigger stuff. That's cool. They've been <clears throat> some guys have been starting to do that, have that approach, and we've been kind of giving that leniency over here with haddock and stuff in the spring, being able to basically sell gutted fish direct to consumer, which has been kind of a nice little shot in the arm, especially for last year in the spring months since we lost thirty plus days of charter fishing. It was a nice little bit of extra revenue, but I mean, as you know, our the bluefin market and stuff is a completely different animal over here. Well, in general, but yeah, well, I do know that uh, sometimes I see your guys bluefin over here. I'm able to buy it cheaper than I can, uh, cheaper than my big eyes that I'm getting paid for. So I know that's not a strong sign of your guys' no. market at all. Nope, <laughs> nope. I mean, I don't think I. You know, like. Uh, I, I actually think this is one of the biggest problems with like reality and television shows is that they don't show the best part. They don't show the fucking the reality of the market, which I think is always like the best story, but it goes untold because people would freak out if they knew this fish was getting so little money. But like, I mean, I have to guess just based on some of the tuna that like I've actually <laughs> met my buddies like we're we're like we're bluefin. We're like we are like fanatics for eating it. Right. So we've actually been buying a few bluefin and splitting them up that are coming in and we're getting them like, you know, like so fucking cheap. I can't even imagine how little the fishermen are getting. They got to be getting like under fucking two dollars or something. Yeah. Or like, there, there, were some there, last year, there were some periods last year. There were some periods last year we were getting under under two bucks. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna yeah. say it had to be because I'm, I'm getting them for fucking so cheap in in Hawaii, and I knew they were coming from the East Coast, and I'm like, these poor guys must be getting nothing for them, you know? It's a so lot, that, of, that's a lot of guys fishing for them. That's the problem. You know, there's so many it, fish coming in, and and like last year, the lack of the market because of COVID, had so many restaurants closed and lack of people going in and out of the restaurants buying fish fish markets everything. overseas demand down too i mean it was yep. easy it was decently easy to move like sub 85 inches you know like 370s and under but anything over that it was just i mean you're getting the same price across the board essentially didn't matter how big or small the fish was yeah the same amount of money the spring 2021 fishing season here in the northeast is about to get going and if you guys are craving more content and want to have a more one-on-one -on -one experience with uh, with the crew here at Seabros Fishing, we have now started a Patreon page. Uh, for just 20 bucks a month, you'll get access to weekly live workshops and Q&As with 
Taylor, myself, and some special guests that we've had previously on the podcast. We're really excited about this new venture. We think it's going to be a, a great way to interact with the listeners. If you are interested in becoming a member, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Fishing. Again, the, our membership is, is 20 bucks a month. You'll get uh, weekly access to Q&A sessions, live Q&A sessions, and we're also going to be publishing monthly uh, seminar-type videos, uh, tactical videos as we move uh, further and further into the season. What's also cool about this is once we get rolling with the charter season, we're going to be able to film these Q&As live on the boat. So it'll add a whole different dynamic to this um, to this whole program, the whole podcast endeavor that we've that we've been going at for the last year here now. So um, make sure you check out our Patreon page and um, sign up if you're interested. Yeah. Um, so. I don't know. Hopefully this year will be a little bit different. But in the meantime, if you want to trade bluefin for like Ono oh, or yeah. Yellowfin, Sh- we can make over. we can make that happen. <laughs> oh, a, a, a fish swap? Absolutely, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You can you can have the bluefin all you want. <laughs> Wahoo all day long. I know, I know. It's one. It's I mean we don't get them too often over here in the canyon, so we always appreciate uh, some fresh Wahoo for sure. Um, yeah. They, the owners just hit. They just kind of started coming in up until this week. That's been one fish that's been super steady. We've been getting like six bucks for those for like a long time. But they just finally, the, the wave finally came in, and now the market's like pretty flooded. That That's kind of the bummers that when they come in, it's the same thing. Like now they're cheap. Yeah. So March, April. Isn't March, April like the time for them over there? April time frame? March, April, May. And then they're actually around a lot in the summer, but everyone's got ahi fever like everyone's just like tuna fevered out so for the, like the most part they're in the shallows sometimes you go in there in the summertime and it's fucking wide open but most people like just have got ahi on their mind they couldn't give a fuck they don't care if they don't even catch one they just want to try all day to get one yeah, yeah oh yeah um so i guess that leads us into how you fish you know the the whole dangler method i'm interested to hear about but when you're doing one of these offshore seamount trips Maybe can you paint the picture for us, like distance, you know, what you're looking for, for conditions generally and, um, and how you're fishing. I know it's multiple methods, but just um, take us through kind of a typical trip or even take us through the trip you just had, you know? Well, this trip I just had isn't a normal trip. The, the trip I just had, and that's why I asked you guys, when is this going to be, uh, when is this going to be posted? I was just, so my mate, my, my boat is actually still down. My transmission, I paid for overnight shipping like last the Wednesday before or whatever. And uh, it left California a week ago. And then it was in Tennessee two days ago. It went the wrong direction. It awesome. went back to center. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Like typical, like <laughs> typical boat stuff. But supposedly my transmission did. In fact, they tried to deliver it last night to the boat yard at six o'clock at night. As we all know, boat yards are always open that late. <laughs> yeah. So that we're gonna sort that out today, but my my transmission is in Honolulu, so we are gonna be getting it back in here in the next couple of days. That's good. Um, but I went on my buddy's boat, and uh, my my buddy had come across a uh, he he's got a project um, that's biting right now, and he needed someone to go with him. It's kind of rough right now. The weather is really lousy. It's blowing like 
it was blowing like 25, 30, and uh, it was just torrential downpour. And I went with him just to go. We just we just got an afternoon in. We didn't leave until late, you know, because we actually waited to see if the weather was going to come down a little bit. But that trip was nothing like what I do offshore, but it was definitely like pretty much as good as inshore fishing gets. No complaints. I'd rather not talk numbers because it's not my project, but we did we did fine. No complaints. But I can talk you through an offshore trip. Totally. Um, so a typical offshore trip is five to seven days. And that includes traveling because it takes us a day to get there and a day to get back. Um, that being said, two to three times a year, it will only be three days long. It'll be a day to get there. I'll fill up in a day and a day to get in. Two to three times a year, I'll do that, like where we dangle like the boat full, dangle fishing. That is not the typical, though. Most fishing is a scrape, you know, or not a scrape. I just want to say a grind. Like my, my whole thing is like small piles make big piles. So it's pick, 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 pick. And then the next thing you know, at the end of the day, you got 2,000 pounds or whatever, you know, like the big hits are uh, like the videos everybody loves. That is the, um, not the rule. That's the exception. Most of it is just steady fishing or a lot of what we do is dropping down deeper in the schools because a lot of times just the smaller ones want to go. And we're focusing on trying to catch. We try to catch as many bigger fish before we like to catch the small fish at the end of the trip. They have the shortest shelf life. Mm -hmm. So we focus our effort on catching bigger ones until it's like we have to start looking at the clock where, OK, it's time to go. These fish have a couple days on them. Now put the hammer down, catch every last thing we can and get the fuck out of here. If that makes sense. Yep. Um, but, but dangle fishing, basically, um, you can dangle fish anywhere. I mean, I've seen the conditions anywhere where there's big eyes. I, I mean, I've seen, I've seen it just about everywhere I've gone in the world. I did some, uh, I, I've seen it off definitely hundred percent. You can do it off the great barrier reef anywhere where you see those videos where they're smashing like fucking teasers and stuff, just hitting in the water. You could definitely do it there. Um, I've seen it. Uh, I did these uh, research projects down in Tarawa, which I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with where that is. No, but tell us. No, down in the Southwest Pacific, they own the most. Uh, they're, they're the most like water rich nation in the world, but they have like one a tiny population. They get less than a thousand uh, tourists a year. The actual it's actually called Carabas. Most people mispronounce it. They think it's Carabati. They get wildly taken advantage of by like the Chinese and these other outside countries that just pay them pennies on the dollar for their fish. It's really mm. sad. I've, I've gone down there and just seen that would like you were telling me about incredible places fishing has taken me. That wasn't sport fishing, but commercial fishing. I just, fuck. I saw stuff that just has still blown my mind down there. But the problem is it's so far out there. It's, I mean, it takes a couple days by plane to get there, even from Hawaii. So it's just so far off the grid, you know? Yeah. It's just all, all these little hopper planes, like the Tarawa International Airport is hilarious. Literally, like people put their shit in line, like they put all their luggage in line, and then they walk through a hole in the fence, talk to their relatives, and then come back through the fence, like when they're going through customs. Wow. Like it's, it was, it's hilarious. But like I, I got down there, and uh, my first day there, they tell me, "Oh, we got a sailfish." They're like, "They got a, they got a sailfish. They're cutting up down at the beach." I'm like, "Great," you know, like. I'm thinking like, oh, yeah, I'll come down and check it out. And I'm like, I just didn't even bring my camera or anything. I get down there and the sailfish this bottom fisherman had caught was like an 800-pound black marlin <laughs> that had swallowed this bottom rig that basically is a coffee can. 
It's a coffee can full of lead with uh, spreaders that stick out like in each direction. And then it has like uh, like eight or ten, like uh, like three foot, like not three foot, like kind of like three inch long, um, kind of like the end of like a spreader bar with a hook on it. If you saw this thing, you would think nothing would ever bite it. But like <laughs> they drop it down and like their, their fishing there is like so virgin. Like they'll drop it down and sometimes like every hook has like a nice like snapper on it. Right. They like when I dude, you would have thought that I gave them the best thing on earth. I brought them down braided line and they'd never seen braided line before. Like, and it actually caused problems because I didn't bring enough of it. And then there was people coming from the other part of the village. They're like, how come you brought him braided line? What about my family? I'm like, Whoa, man. I just like gave it to him randomly, you know, like they'd never seen like it. It was nuts, dude. Like, so these guys were like bottom fishing for snapper and shit with like 400 pound and wire. And they're not doing bad. Like they're catching the shit out of them. Amazing. And fishing. so anyways, this fucking coffee can thing, I guess it had a couple fish on it and this fucking black swallowed all of it, did everything fucking wrong and choked to death. Like it had <laughs> swallowed this coffee can lid. <laughs> did everything wrong. And, and that was like, that was my introduction to their sailfish. I'm like, holy fuck. I'm like, how often do you see the sailfish? They're like, oh, big problem. I'm like, big problem. I'm like, big problem is you're not catching these fucking things. Yeah. They hate, hate Marlin down there because they have such a hard time getting any kind of tackle or anything. And the and the Marlin just wipe them out all the time. Yeah. They fucking hate them. Wow. Like, like they don't like they're so like when I was there, one day we trolled and like fucking we get one on we get one on a handline, it's probably like a six hundred pound blue. I'm like, fuck yeah. And they're all no, no, crack. <laughs> there goes the handline. Later on that day, same thing. We get we get a bike. We got another one jumping around. I'm like, oh, that's a pretty nice black crack. So we cracked off a blue and a black, like both nice ones on the hand lines one day, and they were just so pissed. They're like, because they just can't get, like they can't get shit. Yeah. And then I sent them down some packages after that trip, and I think they just got like pilfered because the guys like they shit never got to them. I think like just like. The connections along the way, I think all this shit got stolen. They Anything got, I've, like, they got taken through the hole, got... taken through the hole in the fence at the airport. <laughs> yeah, man, exactly. Like, I, it's a shame. I've sent them shit, and it's like never made it. You know, oh, that sucks. We've done that too. We've we've fished a few places and left stuff and sent stuff and never makes it there. It's par for the course. Um, yeah. So you get out there. Go, going yeah, back. Okay, sorry. Yeah, dude, sorry. Sidebar Nation is what this is all about. We're good. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I, I'm totally, I'm the king of tangents. Sorry. <laughs> all right, so back. So we get out to the Sea Mountain. I live in a pair of binoculars, right? So, like, before, we have a side scan sonar now, but before the days of a side scan sonar, which, I mean, it's super helpful, but it's not necessary for what I do at all. I think, I'm, I think, the older guys that get sonars are just so much more dangerous because they already understand how the fish work and how birds work. Um, but I, I, I live like my life is looking for birds. Like I live in binoculars. And so um, I've got the side scan sonar and the, you know, the regular sounder going just in case we meter a pile. That's not by the surface, which happens all the time. I basically run my sounder down to a, like uh, 120 fathoms. Um, I'm looking for marks, you know, and, uh, I don't really mess with I, like 120 is kind of like the shallowest or the deepest I look uh, my experience has been like tunas below like 120 fathoms don't normally come up. 
they're just not, they're in a different mode. So I, I, I like anything like over 120 fathoms because those fish, I, it, there's a good chance I can eventually get them to come up if I work it hard enough, you know? Um, so that's kind of where I've got my sounder set and my sonar set to, to be listening and looking at that depth. Um, but if, if, uh, if, you know, ideally you want them shallower than that, but you can definitely get the tunas up from that depth. If you, if you're persistent enough for the most part, like if I find a pile that's big enough, most of the time I will stay on that fucking pile until it comes up. I'll just relentlessly chase it. You know what I mean? Um, but birds live in birds. Uh, we live in birds and then kind of the art of, uh, of the, of, of offshore is kind of understanding how the piles work. Like being, how do I say this? Being aggressive, but not being too aggressive. Okay. Like a lot of people, they look at those videos and they see the fish just fucking going nuts over the side. But what a lot of people don't understand is like it, if you don't drive properly on the piles, you put them down. Like I see that a lot of times when you get new guys out there, um, they'll drive like straight over the fucking the leading edge of a pile to put them down or, or, or even in shore. Sometimes I'll see tunas on the top and uh, like people will aggressively drive over them and then the pile goes down. I kind of like, I, I call it like painting brush, like kind of like, kind of like brush brush strokes of like, where you kind of like are just feeding it in. Like I want to keep getting on top of that pile and just picking an edge. And I want, I want them to come with me. It's like, I, it's like a dance. Like I want the pile to come with me. I want to like massage it in. I want them to think like, I, I want to be something a part of instead of driving straight over them. So like when I start to kind of get like, it looks like I'm marking real solid. I actually kind of get off of them a little bit because I don't want to go right over. I want to be like, Oh fuck. It. Wait, these things aren't chasing me. These things are fleeing from me. I yeah. want my attention, you know, like, so my, my, what I always am trying to think is that my boat is a pile of bait. I am a bait school and I want my boat to act like a bait school. Like, so I want to be, I, I want the tunas to think I'm fucking scared of them. And that's, so like I get up to them and then for me, big thing is speed, right? Like it's really important that you play with speed. Like I, 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 I play with the speed of the boat all the time. Like a lot of times what I say about like big eye tunas, it's not how fast I want to go. It's how fast the tunas want to go yeah. right yep like some people really get shit stuck in their head that like we troll at seven and a half knots that's how fast this boat goes like well that's how fast the boat goes at the rpms you normally have it at but that doesn't mean that's how fast the tunas want to go that day oh. i mean i love it when they want to go that fast too but a lot of times they don't want to go that fast. i'll pause so, i'll pause you right there for a second we see the same thing over here especially early season we see those the first like head of the migration coming into our waters we're varying speed based on life too. Like the fish might be on the whales. The whales are cruising at a certain speed. It may be four knots. It may be six knots. And we're trying to do that exact same thing. Match the speed to the life. Not necessarily trying to keep your speed exactly the same all the time. Yep. And, and one of my biggest tips for tuna anyways is that is to change the speed all the time, man. Like, well, especially working big piles, like, I, I fucking, I, I mean, I like to stop right on top of them with my stuff. Like one of my biggest tricks, like is wedding, just take the boat out of gear, let all my shit sink as deep as it goes. And then fucking whoa, power away full speed, get that shit going fucking like it's racing up out of the way. I get a ton of bites that way. And then that will make you hook, you know, you hook one, it gets another one hooked and then you get the pile to keep coming. Like, like for me, like, uh, 
it's all about uh, – I used to fish with guys who said, if a tuna is there for a reason, you never change that. For me, I could not disagree with that further. For me, uh, I think if a tuna is there and it's not biting, we need to figure out what's going to make that fucker bite. Right. So for me, I'm always constantly changing shit. Like I, I, I like to think that I'm not very set in my ways as far as – I will always try something new. I've got a fucking, I mean, I got a, I got a, a storage unit of fucking shit that failed and, and, and to, to get to what I run today. But even though I have like a really pretty good program, I am constantly trying new stuff. I'm not above trying new stuff. I love trying new stuff. And I think that's probably been a big part of our success is that we're always trying new things and we just don't have a locked in way that there's only one way to do it, you know? Yeah. So talk us through the whole dangle rig. So you've you've metered the fish, you've seen the fish, you're working the school of fish. Yeah, Take meter us- the fish. Yep, meter the fish and um, seeing the fish. And this is obviously easier with a sonar now because I can I can stay off that leading edge like no problem. You know what I mean? Um, but we find the pile of fish, and a lot of times people don't realize this, but you know. The birds are a good indicator, but a lot of times the actual, the main pile is like a quarter of a mile to like seven tenths of a mile behind the birds. So like, you don't want to get too caught up with the, with being right up in the birds because the main pile is further back, you know, that makes sense. Yep. And, uh, so sometimes even like marks, like random marks, um, we'll just kind of keep like working over those until they come together and uh, what we do is, so we'll, we'll start seeing marks and then we will polo on them, which is basically just chum, you know, so um, I'll go over, I'll go over the fish. I'll go over like random marks, not a big pop, but I'll, I'll go over random marks at full speed and we'll start throwing chum. And then if nothing comes up, we'll I'll instantly slow down and uh, we start throwing bait at them, like slow trolling. And I'll go as slow as like a knot and a half. We'll just be throwing bait and uh, see if anything comes up boiling. And if they do, great. We'll keep it at that speed, and hopefully they engage. And if they don't, well, uh, normally what we do is then we'll stop. If they're not dangling, we'll normally just stop on them. We'll throw, we'll throw bait and see if they come up. If they don't come up, then we normally will drop down to them. Uh, sometimes they float, which is like uh, what, just basically what we call them when they get stuck to the boat. You know, like when they stay with the boat, we call it float. We, we drop diamond jigs down. And we catch, I would say, it's got to be at least half our fish, we, big ones, we, big fish, we catch at least half on uh, on a trip, usually on diamond jigs by dropping down and working the jig on hand lines. Um, hand lining, big eyes and crossing. That's insane. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, I've seen videos on your Instagram doing it, but, you know, what's it like getting an eat hand lining? I mean, is these things ripping it out of your hands, is it insane? Or is it, can you kind of keep up with them handlining on the bite? I'm not going to lie. I didn't hear all that question. It cut out. Oh. But what, what is the eat like handlining a big guy in Yellowfin? Like, what's uh, the bite like? Is it just, is it ripping the line out of your hands or is it subtle? Like, what are you doing to get a bite jigging? It, well, with the jig, so basically, I mean, it's hard because you guys, I mean, no one's going to see this at home, right. but basically, you take one, you have one wrap around your hand at all times, right? Yep. And basically, so one hand is snapping it, like the one hand is snapping it, so that's your jig, and then the ba- back hand pulls it, to, so you, that's how you like flutter pulling it up through the water column. Gotcha. So one hand is pulling it, 
And then that's also your drag. So like fish bites, that's how you set the hook with the one wrap. And then basically you'll let it go like will just be blowing off your through your hand with a one wrap Sick. until it stops. And then once it stops and you take wraps and this is kind of the only time like where we take one wrap instead of two wraps. And that's because we just use straight uh, 400 pound monofilament. That's all we're using the whole way. So if it needs to run, the, the it, it just blasts off through your gloves. That's your break. And then maybe I'll do, if the fish is tired towards the top, I'll do double wraps, you know, but in the beginning, it's all just single wraps in case it needs to take another run. Yep. Jig fishing can be fucking nuts. We have so it goes. We have swivels every thirty fathoms, and basically after so after a mine like after four sets of thirty fathoms, we have the oh fuck line, and, <laughs> and, and, and the oh fuck line is eight hundred to a thousand pound test. That's your last ten fathoms where you have it, where you either got to turn it or break it. And, you know, take it or break it, and you hope it's not your hand that's breaking. Like, that's like, you know, you just kind of lock in and hope that the, either the hook stays in or you don't fucking lose the spool. Um, and all my years of running boats, I've had two people get pulled over, um, and both people were on the oh, fuck line just trying to hold on. One guy just stuck his hand. They're on the, uh, they're like on a, a like a, a yo-yo, like on a round, like a circle. One guy just stuck his hand in to, like, hug it, you know, like to fucking hold on for life, like bear hug it. And he just went right over the side, so then we let go. The spool just went over the side, and he was fine. But the other guy was, like, super fucking wrapped up in it, and uh, he was kind of, like, down for a few seconds, and that one was kind of fucking scary. But fortunately, he popped back up. He was He's a big wave surfer, and he just kind of was, like, shaking his head. But, fuck, somehow he came up, and he was still holding on to the fucking spool, and he handed the spool up to me, and... Uh, we, we the other crewman pulled him in the boat and we actually caught that fish that pulled him over the side so you have never seen a tuna get hit in the head more times than that, that one that fucking guy just let he let go on that one uh, that's yeah, scary that's crazy and scary for sure yeah oh, man. the yellow fin um so the big guys definitely turn easier the fucking when you get a big yellow that is the real that's the yellows are like they are fucking, those are the really scary ones on the jig spool. They just, you, you know, like we, we fish two pairs of gloves, typically a blue pair of PVC and then orange snot gloves. And those are the ones where your fucking stuff is just smoking. And the next thing you know, you're just like, your gloves are just blown out and you're holding on for life. The yellows go fucking mental on the jig. That's cool. That's wild, man. How many jigs are you putting out? How many jigs are you throwing out at once? You doing like just two guys or, or more than that? Well, like right now I've got a three man crew, so it's four. Wow. And and that's actually one of the benefits. The more guys you've got, the better because one hooked fish keeps the other fish around. Right. And so that's part of the art too. The art is to keep, it's kind of like my, my fishing, you know how you keep one hooked and to keep the other ones around. Like you don't harvest one, you don't harvest the next my, my until you have one hooked. It's the same thing with the, like with the tunas with a jig. We try not to pull them all in at the one time. We want to have one down there until the next guy hooks up, that guy hooks up, then we'll harvest that one and trying to always keep one hooked. So we keep the pile because a lot of times if you catch like say three or four at the same time and you catch all of them, then the pile's gone. So the art for numbers is to keep one hooked up at all time too. Like sometimes you gotta be like, okay, okay, slow down a little bit. I got I got a little bit of a fuck up here. Let me get my jig right. And then you drop your jig down and then you hook one and then that guy harvests one. One of the tricks is to keep one hooked, you know? Yeah, we see the same thing, macro fishing and stuff over here. I mean, if you don't have them hooked or a sabiki full in the water, they you, won't you'll stay. lose the school quite yeah. often. 
in the fall yeah. too, we were seeing that a lot with the smaller fish as they're, you know, migrating back out of here. We were chumming a lot while we were tight just to keep them with us as long as possible, especially during release season. Um, yeah. but yeah, that's interesting. That's cool. That's cool. What, uh, any other crazy stories, um, hand lining or injuries, near misses, any, anything good like that? You got I mean, you have to have a bunch. Bad, bad weather. I mean, over the years, I mean, honestly, like, I would say, like, most trips has, like, kind of almost like a 100%, like, fucking injury rate. But a lot of times it's not. <laughs> but a lot of times it's not really that bad. It's just kind of minor shit, you know. Um, what have I had? Oh, God, right off the top of my head for injuries. I mean. I mean, I had to super glue the top of a guy's head back on one time, but that was sport fishing. That wasn't what? that wasn't option. Yeah, this guy fucking he had landed weird on the boat, like he slipped and he caught his head on the steps, and like the back of his skin was like peeling off on his head. Oh, and, oh my yeah. god! And he's like, "Oh, how's it look back there?" I'm like, "Oh, it's not too bad." Like, oh, fuck! What are we gonna What are we gonna do? You know, it's like a wet, bloody rat in my hand. So I fucking. I knew from like seeing this documentary that like super glue was from like the Vietnam war. Right. So I went inside and I found this thing of super glue. And I basically, I didn't, I'm just like, I don't know what else to do. I just fucking like I filled up the whole thing with super glue and just like stuck it back down. And, and it, it got us, it got us in, you know, like it, it got us in and then he went and got medical attention and stuff. But that that's probably the gnarliest injury I've seen, you know, like that's probably the worst I've seen where like, and I don't even really know. If it, like, I don't think he would have bled to death, but like your head just bleeds a lot. Yeah, right. So it was, it was kind of like if you had just looked at it, you're like, "Oh, that's not good." Yeah, especially if, especially if you have a couple of Bud Lights in you, it'll bleed a little bit more too. <laughs> yeah, that 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 had a that had part to do. With <laughs> yeah, out. yeah, no doubt. Oh, um, God, you know, just off the cuff, what kind of other injuries? I mean. One of the big things we battle offshore because uh, of multiple days, a lot of it's more like, I would say some of the worst stuff we deal with is infections, staph infections, like uh, especially like fish gurry. You know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but that's like rampant. If like, you know, there's a thing out here where a lot of guys don't like to wear gloves, but if you get poked by like an ahi, like the top of the dorsal spine or whatever, and it goes in your hand, the next thing you know, your hand's all swollen, like. I am super pro like protecting your hands, you know, like gloves all the time, but some guys don't like to wear gloves. And like, I've seen some pretty bad infections there, some pretty bad staph infections, or just even from chafe, you know, like guys are in wet grain gear and the salt just like you get like salt burns. The next thing you know, they've got like a fucking sore the size of a quarter that looks like a zit. Just ugh. Oh, it's gnarly. Th- those are probably kind of more gross. Like, um, those are probably some of the more serious ones because you can lose your hand and shit if you don't take care of it. And sometimes the guys that are getting those infections aren't like uh, the cleanest people anyways, if you will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They're not the most hygienic. Oh, uh, hear you there. Um, what about... Uh, I, I love the the whole tunas and the prop. Marlon chasing schools of tunas underneath the boat. Tuna blender. What... Uh, you have to have seen some all kinds of epic marlin bites while catching tuna fish. Like, t- yeah. t- tell us a couple of those stories. I love that shit. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that is one thing where it's a real weird thing with me. So when I'm tuna fishing, 
I don't want anything to do with Marwin. Like, like not those, especially not the big ones, because they take up a ton of ice. They take up a ton of time, and uh, they're generally not worth the money. Like the big ones aren't generally worth the money compared to, um, say, catch, catching tunas with the same amount of ice. You know what I mean? And just the amount of time, man. Like getting them in the boat a lot of times is a pain, and they're a big ordeal. We do have to fuck with them a lot. Um, some uh, on some at certain times of year. Um, there's just been a ton of big marlin around uh, this year. Um, since December, I've caught 11 over 500, and of the of that, uh, eight of them have come up dead. Like meaning, I didn't want anything to do with them. Like, they but still they, died. Yeah. they're just fucking. They're just done because most of the time when we get them, they're swallowing. Um, they're swallowing tunas off the rods, you know, and and so they just get they just choke out. Like uh, the biggest one we kept this year was probably in the low low nines and uh, it was 713 with no head and no guts and uh that one had swallowed a 54 pound tuna off the rod and uh that was kind of a neat story uh so it's kind of like i was telling you guys so we get you know we can tell so we'll be working a pile and we'll be catching and usually we're catching pretty good and then all of a sudden the next thing you know, you look down, the water's just black because all the tunas are pinned up against the boat. They instinctively come up against the boat like a floater. And then when you really know the marlin's there, it's fucking... And like when the fish are... When they're bigger fish, the fucking... It just feels like you're hitting bottom because the big ones are just hitting the props. And I go, ah, fuck, there she is again, you know? And so what had actually happened on that one, I should back up a little bit. The fishing had been like kind of slow we were having some shark problems the sharks kept fucking smashing us we had like 18 bit already from this like mako that wouldn't 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 leave us alone it was just just being this total fucking prick and it kept being a dick it kept like it kept just biting the stomachs out of them it wasn't even taking the whole thing it just kept biting the stomachs and then like i i I threw a few back to hopefully just you know because a lot of times if we just throw the fish back to them that will like satisfy them because it's not like a whole pack it's just like one and i kept throwing them back and he wouldn't eat them. He would only just keep blowing the stomachs out of another one. So it was a total, he's just being a total dickhead. And um, so we're, we've got, we run, when we were dangle fishing, we run two conventional 130 rods. Then we run four short hand lines that are just cleated off. And they, you know, they, they consist of like four fathoms of rope and then uh, two to four fathoms of 700 pound tests with jets on them, you know, with, with big fang hooks in them. And then we have our danglers, which are the 12-inch squid that just hang off the side of the boat. And they range from like a foot and a half to three feet off off the side of the boat. And so we were dangling. We got into this pile, and we're catching them on the on the hand lines and on the danglers. We're catching them on the danglers. It wasn't great, but it was a steady pick. They were mostly like 30 to – you know, they are mostly like 30 to 40-pound fish on the danglers. And so the rule of thumb when you're dangle fishing is you go for the easiest fish or the biggest fish. So like – in mixed schools, like we fish a lot of mixed schools. And so, um, like if there's an 80 pounder on the dangler, you go for the 80 pounder because the larger the fish is in the school, the more dominance it has in the school. So if you lose an 80 pounder, the 80 pounders go down, but the smaller ones will still stay up. You lose the small ones, the big ones don't go down. But when you lose the big ones, the big ones leave. They kind of have their own, they kind of have their own kind of hierarchy. So it's super important that you focus on getting the big ones in the boat and versus like the smaller ones because you fuck those off like if you blow out like an 80 pounder or 100 pounder like especially when you get the real once in a while the real fucking go the real big ones get on the danglers and it's just total chaos 
if the like the most dominant fish like you know rips off a gaff or whatever the party is over so really? it's super important yeah yeah it, it's super important in mixed schools that you focus on the big one so we had this one we had a fish on the rod that i didn't think was very big because we fish a lot of drag you know i'm fishing around 45 pounds of drag and we had and we had like a, just a, a smaller tuna on the rod and then all of a sudden the line went slack and i thought oh that fucking shark got us again but I wasn't too worried about it because we. I, I just thought he. I thought he had bit the bit the fish off, you know. Yeah. And um, I thought he had bit the fish off, but then the next thing you know, like maybe like 15 seconds later, I feel duck, 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 and I'm like, oh, fucking marlin too, right? So we're 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 tuna blendering. We're just chopping these fish, and <laughs> I, I I look down and the water is just black, but I look in the back and it's just big fucking lit up fish and i and i and i I went right back we're going maybe like half knot two knots so it's really clear and 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 the uh it it was really clear in the prop wash and i could see this thing completely lit up glowing and i could see a leader's hanging out of its mouth and i'm like that's the first moment i put two and two together i go that wasn't a fucking shark that bit us off this fucking prick ate the uh tuna off the rod and is looking for another fish so I crank the leader out. I crank the line out as fast as I can. I have the boys. I'm like, clear the rest of the spread. I want to get see if we can end this right now. So I crank all the lines as fast as I can. I get the leader, and I've got a glove, and I, I take wraps, and it's slack. So I get slack. I come tight on this fish because this big marlin is just right underneath me. So I fucking I just lay back on it. She didn't like that at all. Fucking said, pull back on Lines scream and I'm like, all right, I just want to end this because we don't want anything to do with this fish, right? Yeah. So I put the reel the full sunset, just fucking all the way, and then but then it slows down and it's like, and it stuck its head out of the water. It's it's a it's you know it's a pretty good it's a good sized fish. Like we said, it's it's over nine or right around nine. And it's got this fucking tuna hang like just the tails <laughs> hanging out of its mouth. And at this point, I'm still not thinking like it's that big of a, a, a shibi, but I can tell or shibi is in Hawaii. Is a, a tuna under 100 pounds is, is a shibi in Hawaii. So I'm still not thinking it had swallowed that big of a fish. But like, so we got the stuff spread, uh, like we got the, the spread cleared and we're chasing after this thing in reverse. I go fucking hard, too, because I don't give a fuck about losing them. Right. So like I go like Great Barrier Reef, turn and chase. I'm going on this thing. And like within 25 minutes. It, it's just done it's back it's just swimming on its back it's just it's on the surface doing backpedaling and so i know from any time i've ever seen a marlin swimming upside down it's fucked yeah. and then like 10 minutes later it was stone dead so i'm like well i guess we're keeping it because i'm just like i'm totally against wasting them and uh we put it in the boat it took us as long to put it in the boat as it did because we don't have like a tuna door on this boat we're not trying to go sport fishing right like so we had to take a, our block and tackle, and the first time, and and I guess I knew it was a good one, but I don't think I knew it was nine hundred like when we first got it. And the first time we tried to bring it over the rail, like you know, its bill is ripping off its face. Like normally, you put like a gaff in its eye, a gaff in its mouth, you wrap the you wrap the bill, and it's but like I'm pulling it this way, and it's like bill is ripping off. So I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, we got to put it back down. I'm like, oh, maybe it's a little bit bigger than I than I thought. So. We ended up pulling it uh, tail first. We get we get it in the boat, and, and I thought, oh well, fuck. I pull I pull out the tape on it, and I do the measurements. I go, oh shit, this thing's got fucking. The measurements on it were for nine forty eight. You know, I thought, oh wow, that's. It was kind of it was short. It was built like a square, that's and cool. um, I ended up back in the dock. So like, uh, 
I ultimately decided, I'm like, ah, maybe I should, if I really thought it would go, there's no part of me that thought it was going to go the magic number. I knew it wasn't like going to go. It had a 19 inch tail. You know, if, if it had like a 20 inch tail, maybe I would have kept it whole, but, and it, it was just so short that I just thought, nah, it's not going to go. But one story short, the tuna that the, uh, that the Marlin had swallowed, uh, I was thinking it was like, like a teenager the whole time when we actually weighed it back at the dock, the, cause I kept it. The tuna it swallowed off the rod was 54 pounds. So Jeez, that was pretty cool. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. That was pretty cool. That's a but, dinosaur. Uh, it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I have one story that stands out on, on the sea mountain, um, a fish that I've called scarback. Uh, I've talked about this fish, like to a lot of people, like it's not a fish. Like it was just the most ridiculous Marlin I've ever seen. We, we had found a, 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 par, a pile of tunas one day, probably like maybe anywhere, probably around like a, um, like a hundred ton pile. And, uh, really big pile like i got up on it and it was all the way from the surface to 100 fathoms thick and wow. uh yeah just a fucking massive pile but so but what was weird about this pile is that from the second we got to it we couldn't get one fish to bite not a single one like it's not weird for fish not to bite but it's weird to have like a hundred ton pile where you can't catch a single fish out of it right mm. and so i I fucked around with this thing for hours and I couldn't get a bite. And I thought, well, there's probably whales on this thing. Cause the only time we see the tunas when they won't do that are when the false killer whales are around. And I thought it's such a big pile. I go, there's probably whales here and I'm just not seeing them. And so I said, well, fuck these things. Then I eventually got sick of dealing with them and they were just completely locked jaw. And I figured, well, maybe I can find another pile because in my binoculars, I had seen some birds kind of like, you know, like looked like they were kind of like three miles away. So I thought, well, maybe I can maybe I can find a pile that wants to bite because a lot of times out where we're fishing, it's not like there's just one pile. You know, you just got to find that happens all the time. You got to just find the right pile. And so I go to leave these tunas. But what ended up happening is they once I decided to leave them, they wouldn't leave me. They, they floated. So like now everywhere I go, the tuna are swimming with me. I mean, like as like as far as you can see in every direction around me is tunas surfing down the waves, wow. you know, all sizes, but uh, they won't bite. They'll, anywhere I go, they'll swim with me. Like, we see that a lot over here, right, where the, like, where the small ones follow us around, but it's not typically a pile that's that big. So anywhere I go, this pile is just following. And what will happen sometimes is that you'll, you'll drive your pile when they're floating. You'll find another pile. And then that will cause competitive feeding. Like they won't bite, they won't bite, but then I'll mark another pile. And then the next thing you know, it's fucking, it's on, right? So the goal is like when you got a big pile like that falling around, I'm looking in my binoculars and I'm trying to find another pile to drive these things into to cause competitive feeding, right? Yep. So I didn't find another pile and uh, I didn't find another pile. And like the birds I kind of saw in the distance, like they must have been on Aku, like on, on skipjacks. Cause they were just hauling ass. I could never, I could never catch up to them. So basically like for what we do, if a pile of birds is going faster than say like max, like fucking nine knots, that would be like super, super rare for yellowfin. But for big eye fishing, if like uh, a pile is going faster than seven and a half knots, it's not worth chasing for big eye. In my experience, like if I can't catch them where it's obvious at seven and a half knots that it's not, I'm not maintaining it. I don't chase that pile. 
And I, it was pretty obvious I wasn't gaining on the birds at seven and a half knots. So I just ended up leaving off them. I said, well, fuck it. This pile's still still following me. Maybe they'll bite at like sundown. So I go and you've probably been here a hundred times, right? Like all day you're trying to make them bite and they won't bite. I go to make a sandwich. I make this big fucking elaborate That's fucking sandwich. That's what happens. I get one fucking bite in and all of a sudden, <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Every fucking dangler in the boat is just erupting. I'm like, you fucking, the universe has just got a joke, like a sense of humor when it comes to that, right? Yeah. So I, have to, I put my sandwich down and it just, it's on. It's all 60 to 90 pound fish just committing suicide on these danglers. And we haven't even thrown any bait. It's just as fast as you fucking throw a, the squid back in the water. And like I said, you know, they're only like a foot and a half to three feet from the water. As, fast, as soon as it hits the water, boom, another one's on. It's just total chaos, right? But then the fucking earthquake happens. My old boat had two, and it's just... And I'm like, it was fucking... And they're all like 60 to 90, so the boat feels like we're hitting fucking bottom. But I thought this time, I thought they were fucking whales, because I I see out of the corner of my eye, I see this huge black blob. I'm like, oh, it's fucking whales. And that's exactly what I said. I'm like, just fucking great. It's fucking whales. Here we go, right? I'm like, they finally bite fucking whales here. But as this fish gets closer and closer, it's not a fucking whale. And all I could say was, I was just like, look, 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 I couldn't even get anything intelligible out of my mouth because I had just never seen anything that looked like this thing. It was just like fucking ridiculously big. And this thing comes up on the on the back dangler, and there's like a 90-pounder on the dangler, and this fucking thing just goes, boo, swallows it, and it just kind of like turns its head, douche. And it pops off the fucking 700-pound test with this 90-pounder in its mouth like oh nothing. Oh, my like, God. Holy <laughs> fuck. And, we're still, and, but, and then nothing. There's total stillness. All the tunas are gone. The marlin's gone. And we're still just going down sea at the same speed. And I'm just like totally like blank screen, blank face. I'm like. Where's my, sa- where's my sandwich? Where's my sandwich? <laughs> this fish was just like. So fucking ridiculously big. But then I made the ultimate mistake. I tempted the ocean. I said to the crew, I go, you will never, ever, 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 ever fucking see that again, right? No sooner did I say that, the danglers all start fucking just erupting. Like fucking, it's just on. They're all like 60 to 90 pounders again, just committing suicide. Like no part of me ever thought those tunas were going to come back. And no part of me thought I'd ever see that fish come back. So we're fucking yanking over, we're yanking over the 60 to 80s and like maybe like 40 seconds later, fucking dunk, 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 dunk. And we're fucking just, it, it, the tuna blender is on. It is just like fucking, it is just ahi Kool-Aid behind the boat. The fucking, it's just black as can be around the boat. And I fucking, I pulled over the 60 pounder right in front of me on the front dangler. They're, they're, they're one in front of the other, right? So there's like an inside one that's like a foot and a half in the boat. And there's one that's like three. And I just pulled the 60 pounder over. And this fucking marlin comes up, and this time it's not like a full speed bite. It was like totally different. It was like the first time she kind of like showed us her power. The next time she showed us like how calculated she was, she came up, and, and you know, she's just like three feet out. She comes up this 80-pounder on the dangler, and I like didn't even reach for the 80-pounder. I'm just watching this thing like, holy fuck. And my only natural reaction was to reach out to try and touch like its fucking massive fucking dorsal fin. Like it just like – it was so incredible. This thing like puts its bill, this like like ungodly bill over this 80 pounder and it like just slow motion pinches down on this fish, right? And it just goes and fucking 
ripped this time it didn't break it it just like ripped the hook out of his 80 pounder's mouth and the fucking thing just like swam slow motion like out of sight like a dog with like a bone in its mouth with this 80 pounder so it just ate a 90 pounder it ate a and, and swam away with an 80 pounder in its mouth and by the time last time i saw it it was just like the last part of its tail was hanging out of its mouth oh, and i was my just like God. holy <laughs> fuck and and what was really neat about this fish that i should mention is it had two giant scars on its back, like where it looked like maybe somebody had had flying gaffs in this thing once upon a time and like they both fucking blew out or the thing had maybe been like hit with a propeller before from fucking tuna blendering. But the, the fish was just the most incredible fish I've ever seen in my life. And uh, that was the closest I ever got to that fish. But I actually saw it like on the next trip because once it fucked up, we ended up filling up in a day. And so I fucking, I, I, I filled the boat. We went in, loaded up, and we turned and burned out of Honolulu. And the next trip, I saw that fish actually again. So, like, what was that? It was, like, fucking, it was, like, two and a half days later. I saw that fish again. It never got that close. It got, like, within, like, 10 feet. But it was just a fucking fish of unworldly <laughs> How abortions. how big do you do you honestly think nah. it was? No, I like it. Put a number to it. Like that, it just was how, like how long? I mean, you saw it next to the boat. How long was it? It's huge, man. Like I just don't even want to put a number to it. Yeah. I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, it was just, it was just one of those. It's just one of those once in a lifetime fish, man. Like I just let's put it this way. In my wildest fishing dreams, I never thought I would see a marlin fucking half that size in my wildest dreams. Like, I just remember thinking, like, this, that must be, like, that must be the upper end. That just must be where, like, and you know what was weird about the fucking thing? Is that no part of me had the sensation, like, hey, we should try and catch that. Right. Like, I remember looking at that fish and thinking, like, wow, man, some fish just aren't meant to be caught. Like, even when I saw it the next time, I never tried to catch it. Like, I just, I never, like, it didn't even, like, it was just no part of me. Like, I remember looking at it and looking at my 130s and thinking, nope. nope. <laughs> I'm all set with that. <laughs> like, I, I know that may sound like bullshit, but there's just no part of me. And one fear I had was hooking it. I had a fear of hooking it and having it go down and die or something. And I just, I can remember thinking, like, it would be, like, the most heartbreaking thing if I hook this fish and it dies and we don't get it. Like that would be a true sin. I mean, this fish was fucking incredible, man. That's you know, cool. it, was just a, it was a really amazing fish. That that's definitely if that's not the most humbling experience I've had out at sea, it's unquestionably the most exciting, most amazing marlin thing I've ever seen, without a doubt. Fish was just radical. That fish still haunts me. I mean, like not in a bad way, but I still like I I have that like I I have that reoccurring dream. Like I just that fish is just in my mind forever. You know. Dude, I'm not gonna lie. That's that's one of the best fishing stories I think I've ever heard. Yeah, that was wild. That was really yeah. that. That's a special, special. <laughs> Just day, the fact that how right close there. it got to you too, like without actually fighting it. Like you hear all all sorts of big fish stories, guys fighting fish for hours, and you know it gets up to the boat and they break it off or whatever. But to not even have a hook in it. Yeah. Nope. Never even had a. Never even had a hook in it. Well, I guess technically, I mean. I mean, technically, it swallowed oh, the true. hook in the line of yeah. but that didn't, that didn't seem to phase it. I mean, right. if we're talking IGFA, technically. <laughs> no, there's no IGFA there, bro. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? Nowhere oh, near as cool I, Oh, technically, story. I got the release because I touched the lead. That's, yeah, yeah, That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. You know what it yeah, reminds me yeah, of? Te- technically. 
Technically, I got the release because I touched the leader. Oh, that's amazing. Classic. Yeah, the, uh, the fish that it reminds me of that's nothing quite close to what he's talking about. Remember that bass in the river? Yeah. Trying to eat our bass? Yeah. That was the biggest striped bass I've ever seen I mean, in my yeah, life. Insane. I mean, this we, light tackle river fishing, again, no, nowhere near a marlin, but um, we, were, we were catching like, I don't know, mid 20 inch class bass, just like some 30 inch having fish a few so. beers, hanging out, and this one big slob fish came, same thing, came right up to the boat, nipping at our bass, trying to eat it. It was almost like a, it was almost like a, like a, motherly moment dude, almost it was, dude. it was weird it was like nudge like nudging and nuzzling a little schooly the thing had to have been 60 plus pounds it Easily, was enormous yeah. yeah lining them up dude i don't know whether it was trying to eat it or whether it was like we put live bait in its face put everything in its face wanted nothing to do with it yeah one of that bass dude that's oh, an incredible you saw, story you saw it more than once like it came around more than yeah. once oh once. yeah yeah yep yep Usually, usually, well, they early, don't get that big by being stupid. They certainly don't. Nope. We call we call the those types of fish uncatchables. Like anything over like 115 inches here at home is uncatchable yep. category. You know, unless everything goes perfect or they have a heart attack, which we've yeah, seen heart, too. Yep, the heart attack. I had actually, uh, I had one years ago on Jeffrey's. One of the first, uh, one of the first tunas I ever got. But uh, actually, that's kind of a cool bluefin story fucking uh we're using a hand line you know and boom blast off <laughs> goes through the fucking basket and then it's just just stops and we're like oh it's fucking off and then we start you know we're pulling on it I'm like oh it's just some weight there but it's not really doing anything yeah and we're like ah it's a fucking shark or something it's just fucking dead weight you know we just keep pulling it up and pulling up like, this is really fucking weird bro like so we're fucking like, <laughs> pulling it up pulling it up and we got this fucking tuna, and it literally had fucking like clay shoved in its mouth. Oh, it like, went it just right fucked. into the bottom. It like just fuck. I don't know. It like it just like killed itself on the bite. I mean, it literally blew. Like you know, like I used we used to use like uh, a couple baskets. Yeah. You know, like it blasted off like two baskets, and then it never ran again. We're like, what the fuck just happened? And it came up with like it came up with mud and shit in its mouth. We didn't even think it was a tuna. I mean, it came up just like. <laughs> mud dart mud dart yeah, right there mud dart. It killed itself on the bite i guess i don't wow. think it hit the bottom and killed itself i think it must have had a heart attack or something yeah the biggest one we've ever killed here did that had a didn't didn't mud dart itself but had a heart attack came up 100 close to 100 yards away from the boat like like a big outside pinwheel and was like visually from a distance rigor mortis already and we just Kept the pressure on him and literally surfed him to the boat while we were backing dead. down, dead as a doornail. Awesome. Complete heart. His, his heart. I mean, you, you. I mean, even you know, dressing tuna fish out, you can twenty minutes, half hour, you still get some heart sort of little pumping. beat in the heart. Heart was yeah. solid as a rock. You could like there was no give other than like the outside layer of that you know muscle. It was it was solid. It was done. The fish was was smoked. It was it was crazy. Absolutely crazy. Isn't that weird how that works out? Like it's just so weird. every fish has its own personality. Like I've had like some fucking ridiculously long fights with small fish, and then some big ones that just like completely rolled over. You're like, mm-hmm. hmm. and then you like almost don't even trust it sometimes on the big ones when they're completely fucked like that. You're like, all right, get ready. This thing might do something nuts. And <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like, just like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> we had one. We had these guys last year on a charter. They're uh, Oh, they're all story. dog trainers from um, an Orvis Lodge out in the in New York, I believe. Hunting dogs, yeah, yeah, and um, great, great dudes. 
super hardcore about, you know, catching a bluefin, yada, yada, give him the spiel. You know, usually, you know, 45 minute, 90 minute fight, you know, big run, pinwheels, giving him the whole, the whole lowdown. And, uh, we're fishing off a peak at hell, you know, tip a, basically tip a Cape Cod, not too far from shore, fish all over the surface. They come through the baits, no bites, down rod goes off. We're like, oh, all right, like, like total half-ass like, oh, down rod 60 bite. 60-incher. 60 60-incher, that's what we were visibly seeing on the surface. And uh, we make one turn with the bow. The fish, did, like, just kind of made this weird sort of turn, black-backed. I'm like, we're getting the rest of the rods cleared. And, uh, you're getting your wiring gloves. Yeah. I'm getting my, I'm getting my gloves on and the, and the kid's like, Oh, I got the leader leaders in the rod. And I turn around and look, it's like an 81 incher just swimming. Like he has no idea what's going on. Turn around grab the harpoon, brained him with the harpoon, tail gaff, tail rope, dragging him backwards. The whole, the whole entire fight after we had just hyped these fish up for these boys was like maybe 80 to 90 seconds long. (laughs) Dude, it was it was it was two minutes legit like we looked at the film we we're like there's no way uh, my dad just like takes a drag from his butt and he's like you know i mean if you laugh. put enough if you put enough heat on an 80 inch you can get him in 15 20 minutes but not not 90 seconds no, and when, especially when you hit him with the harpoon right there no. oh dude that is it, fucking hilarious it's just funny how they, you just never looking know at us like really like we go home now like, yeah that was the that's it boys ever yeah that's it bag limits uh, reached we're going home fucking flounder oh dude but yeah that is yeah that's hilarious you just never know huh like yep. fucking we we had a guy on charter out here one time wanted to catch a marlin too like very very similar kind of story the guy had like he was like all into light tackle fishing and stuff like that and we, we went and grabbed a live bait down at sea buoy which is down off captain cook and uh we get this marlin and you know like and the guy was really concerned about you know fishing fish health so we're fishing circle hooks and uh we get we get the bite like instantly on this bait push the drag up because a lot of times the concern with the j hooks is that you'll you'll gut hook the marlin and they'll just be gagging well, this thing was hooked perfectly in the corner of the jaw it never jumped we got on the leader like it, it was so lame that i'm like oh i don't know it was kind of a small bait maybe my my or spearfish swallowed it you know it was kind of like so, Next thing you know, we got like this 300 pound marlin next to the boat that did nothing. And and the guy's like, I'm like, well, well, get ready. It could do something. And the wireman's <laughs> holding on and I'm driving. The fish never did anything. But like, I was kind of scared to let the guy get out of the chair. I'm like, this thing can go crazy. It never did anything. And then like, after like a couple minutes of like towing it next to the boat, we're like, okay, well, maybe you should come out and look at your fish before we let it go. It just did nothing. I don't know what was wrong with it. It did nothing. That's strange. That's crazy. It was so weird, man. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And the guy, the guy was just like, he's like, that was it. Like, <laughs> those walleye, those saying, walleye bro. back in the lakes fight a lot harder. That's that's oh, typically yeah, that, the response. Oh, yeah, it, was <laughs> it was definitely like that. He he was definitely that guy. He's like he's like pound for pound. I gotta say, walleye's a better fight. I'm like, you're not wrong on that one. <laughs> on that fish, he was right. Oh, dude. <laughs> well. Dude, we've been going for almost two hours here, and I could honestly, oh, cool. we could honestly talk to you for forever. We're gonna do this again. This has yeah, been, this definitely. has been awesome. The last, the last thing we want to touch on, obviously, is, yep. and I listened to it yesterday, is you have a podcast of your own going on now. So maybe talk to us a little bit yeah. about that. How people can listen, follow you, what inspired you to do it. It's, I mean, I fucking love it. I'm on board. So, all oh, right, on. Thanks. Well, uh, partially inspired by you guys, actually. 
actually, I did download, uh, before I go offshore, I download, uh, I'm, I'm, I subscribe to you guys and I download um, you guys before I go offshore. What I do is I download a whole bunch of like uh, shows before I head offshore. And then instead of just listening to music all the time, I listen to fishing shows. It's actually kind of funny because sometimes you guys are talking about shit as I'm like fucking pulling a fish over the side. I'm like, like right now. <laughs> yeah. <I'm> like, <laughs> so uh, you guys are inspiration. And, the, and, and I'll tell you what the other like main, like that, that that's why I kind of knew there was a format because you know, like I like listening to you guys and, and uh, it's hard to find content that I like listening to, but my other like real big inspiration uh, I've lost a lot of friends this year. And one thing that has really kind of hit home with me, in fact, uh, if we can mention it right now, uh, I don't know if you guys knew Frank uh, Petalina. Did you know him from Ocean City, Maryland? You know, this was kind of exactly why I started a podcast, because there's a great guy who passed away yesterday, and I don't know exactly what, how he passed or whatever, but I kind of wanted to build a place that um, kind of encapsulated Encapsulated all these different fishermen stories that you would never hear. I lost, um, well, like the week before the I started the podcast because I just threw this together. Like very, I, I had thought about it for a long time, and then finally I said, "Fuck it, I got to do it." I had lost, uh, I had lost five friends in ten days, and I'm like, "What is going on?" What? And some of those guys have like great stories, and there's no like memory of that. Um, and so I want to have a place where like any fisherman has a place to talk. Like a lot of times, like in sport fishing and things like that, the same people kind of get all the attention, but there's just like so many great stories out there that people don't know. And I kind of want to have a place for all the people, like whether it was like, uh, even like kind of the dark corners, you know, right. like uh, of the, thing. um, two of my friends died of, uh, of overdoses and, um, I wanted to really, highlights kind of that part of the industry that nobody really talks about too. Um, it's kind of my hope. That I, I mean, I want to get some therapists and different people that work in that kind of stuff. I, my, it's sad, but just, I've just been surrounded by a lot of people with addiction and stuff that are part of the industry and the industry kind of takes for granted on those. You know, a lot of times, you know, like it's kind of, it's part of the culture, but it's not really talked about, but we all kind of laugh and we kind of know about it. And, but it's also a serious problem. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to address some of that stuff, but I really want to have like a place that there's some guys that have done incredible stuff that just nobody knows about because they weren't like the captain with his chest out. They were the right. guy down in the, you know, down the hold. And so I just, I really want to have it open for everybody's story, you know, and that that's, mine's going to be really rough. I've listened to your guys, your stuff's a lot more polished than mine. Um, but I, I, you know, mine's just going to kind of be like, I mean, it's probably going to be offensive to some people. I'm not afraid to swear. I just, and, and another reason I started it is because so often like the media about fishing regulations and the reality of fishing, it's the polished version that has an agenda. Mm -hmm. I want to just talk about the truth. You know, like I want to talk about like, okay, the tuna fucking fish wasn't $30 a pound this week. It was fucking two bucks. Like, here's the reality of it you know like right. i just think that's kind of a better story i i i think like one problem with like some of the stuff that falsifies fishermen is that there's this false representation that a lot of fishermen are making a whole bunch of money when a lot of us guys are like paycheck to paycheck and just trying to survive and that really would be a better story you know yeah, what i mean absolutely. i don't know if you guys agree with that or not 100 percent, yeah 100 percent. and it's all I mean, like you said in the episode i listened to of your of your show is 95% of it starts with passion. You know, it's like, it's really at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's a money and it's a paycheck, but 
you know, that's that's the most people are gonna do it whether truth they're, of it. They're making you know? money or not. Yep. Well, dude, that's yep. uh I think that's a great a great inspiration. You know, sorry for your for your recent losses. You know, that's that's tough. We've we've certainly seen that that side of it uh here as well. I mean it's it's everywhere. So I think it's I think that's a a great way of approaching this. And I think the podcast is the perfect medium for it. It's it, it allows you to be as authentic as possible, which is why we love doing it. I mean, yeah, you know, there's there's certain ways you can go with it. There's certain ways you can filter it, but I think your that approach is is spot on, and uh, we'll definitely be listening in, in any way that we can help contribute or help build it for you, or you know, you want to just shoot the shit about equipment and stuff like that. You know, oh yeah, I can I can talk that stuff endlessly. Oh, yeah. I just. <laughs> you know um but yeah so what's the what's your podcast what's your social how does everyone follow you and get on board with vicious cycle cool as long as we're plugging stuff to uh i've got a book coming out in may by the same name of my podcast it's uh vicious cycle whiskey women and water and so uh my that's my podcast name that's also my book coming out in may as long as we're plugging stuff here Hell and yeah. then my online social media is uh, Vicious Cycle Fishing. If you want to follow me, I'd appreciate the follow. And uh, awesome. yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, Ken, thank you so much, thank man. Thank you very much. Well, uh, we'll be doing this. We're like, like we were saying in the text, we want to do one with the four of us, add Byram to the mix or Ryan or someone and get some good banter going. But, but oh, that- yeah, well, especially Joe with his little fucking hands. <laughs> little mischievous. Dude, his impressions... <laughs> His ability to do impressions is fucking unbelievable. Zach Galifianakis, I could hear him talk like that all day long. Oh yeah, oh Joe's a classic. We I, I fished with him on the re- I fished with him over here. Like I'll tell you what, like and that's so important. Like in sport fishing, is you want to be on a boat with somebody when you're marlin fishing, like you really can enjoy your time with. Because as we all know, some days marlin fishing, like the marlin, boring. don't show up for the fishing right. just we do. You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so, great. Oh, he, he is great, man. He, he is hilarious. Yeah. I make fun of him. We were actually going to do the podcast. Like we, the idea was we were going to do a podcast together, but then we kind of realized like the timing was just getting really difficult. And so we were going to just kind of, we figured we kind of collab on a couple things, but it just wasn't really lining up. And I wanted something where I could just like, I just wanted to take action. I just wanted to start. So nice, you know, but he, he's a great guy. And I, I was listening to his, his podcast and it was making me laugh because he was talking about the great barrier reef and i was on i was on i was on those on those trips and there we 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 just you could get us going we had like we've had a couple of the fucking like worst clients ever together and he does just the best impersonations of these people like where i'm almost in tears like oh dude he's a special guy that's great that's freaking hilarious well Thanks again, man. We're going to end this on our father's three words of wisdom. Remember, you can't catch them if you don't have a hook in the water. Always trust your instincts. And the last one, you'll just have to keep listening. Stay tight, everybody. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast. We just want to take another moment to thank our sponsors. Mass Bay Guides, LT Marine Products, Black Oak LED, Deep Apparel, and Cosa Del Mar sunglasses. All the promo codes that we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, you can find in the podcast episode descriptions at seabrosfishing.com slash podcast or anywhere 
um, anywhere you guys like to listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, you can find all that information there. Please also, if you can, take a moment. Don't forget to rate the show. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate all the feedback as well. Uh, We've reached out in regards to recording some Q&A sessions. We've got some great feedback, some great questions. So if you can, just take a minute, throw us a rating online, and and keep this thing going. We've been having a blast doing it, and we we really want to continue it for as long as possible. So again... Thank you, and, uh, and we appreciate you all listening. For the latest content, uh, podcast info, fishing reports, general updates, please make sure that you check us out and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Seabros um, Fishing, Mass Bay Guides, or our personal accounts, MBG Taylor and MBG Brian. Um, if you have ideas for podcast topics, podcast guests, you know, where they're on there all the time, very responsive. Please don't hesitate to, to reach out and, um, and, uh, shoot the breeze with us. If you, if you want to talk fishing or if you want to just brainstorm on the podcast. Um, also if you are interested in getting some Seabro swag, uh, maybe one of our tuna mark patch hats that seem to be pretty popular. Uh, we came out with buffs this year, that have like a wolf pack on them that are pretty cool, like a wolf pack of tuna or whatever fish species that you like to mark on your fish finder. Uh, those are also available at the Seabros website. So just visit seabrosfishing.com right there on the front page. You can uh, scroll through the, the gallery of products that we offer uh, so far. That's all we have for you guys today. Thanks for listening and stay tight.